Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And in this episode, we have Kari Evan Leek, who I am really excited to talk about from the Existential Podcast. Um, before we get started, if you are going through a deconstruction of your faith and you would like to try and connect with other people in your local area, the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource that helps you find other people that are deconstructing locally and connect with them. Um, I'd encourage you to check that out. Deconstruction can be a really lonely and isolating process. A lot of us lose family, friends, community, church through this process. And um, having someone that kind of gets where you're coming from and the, the journey that you're going on um, can mean a huge deal. They might not believe the same thing as you. Deconstruction leads so many people in so many different directions, but having someone that is on that journey can be a huge asset. So do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. All right, that's enough from me. Enough plugs. Let's dive in to the conversation with Kari. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. How you doing today? It must be early, right? 8.30 for you? 8.30, yes. I mean, it's, I'm usually, my body's up at 6 and I can't oh, really? stop it. From, I can't stop it from doing that no matter what. So right. yeah, eight, eight's not too early. Yeah, you're not too bad. Not too bad. I just, um, I just finished interviewing um, John Steingard. Are you familiar with John? No. At all? He's put some great stuff out on... Uh, Instagram. You should, you should check him out. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. He, he booked him in. He, he did 4.30 a.m. his time. He's like, I like getting up early. And I'm like, you are insane. <laughs> you are insane. But where, where are you at? I'm in the UK. So uh, eight hours okay. ahead. So oh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was a nice nice for me that he did 4.30 in the morning. It was like, oh, I, I actually get to do it in the middle of the day. Same for you, actually, as well. A lot of the people I end up doing, they're doing afternoon or even evening. And I'm like, well into the night. Um, so it's a nice change for me. But, yeah, for sure. Glad I'm glad glad I could do it. No, it's great. I'm excited. So, how much time have you got? I I blocked out from now till I want to say eleven o'clock my time. Oh wow, perfect. Okay, well we we may not go that long. We'll see what what uh, what the conversation holds. But uh, okay. it's nice to have the freedom. I just love um, much more relaxed, easygoing conversation. We can go much more into depth into something without worrying. Will we get to the next thing or, you know, yeah. like, and so it just allows a much easier flow and allows you to not feel pressure to make sure you get to say the right thing at the left time. And yeah, absolutely, man. Relax and try. So say whatever you want, however you want. There is no, you know, rules or anything like that. People oh, wow. are that, pretty that chill. Sounds fun. Um, so yeah, you know, however you want, if you cuss, if you don't cuss, if you, uh, you want to come out as, you know, believing X, Y, or Z, you're not going to shock cool. my audience. Um, awesome. We're really super chill. And so. Dope. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's a, I'm, I'm excited. Sorry. Really excited. I've been, I've been following you um, for quite a while. Um, the uh, Not your personal um, page. I don't know what you actually put much stuff on there. It seems quite personal. Um, but on your, is, is it Existentialist? Yes, Existential. Podcast? Yes, sir. I always want Existential podcast. Yes. yes. Um, I always say the wrong thing. I'm like, existentialism, existential, existentialist. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm terrible with names. But uh, you're putting some good stuff out on that, man. And your your existential Sundays, things like that. I, I don't get to catch every single one. But when I click on and grab a bit, I'm like, this is good. I mean, I'm encouraged. Oh, wow. I'm like, Thanks, man. full of life, full of like just wisdom and grace and love and inclusivity. Just you're speaking my language, you know. <laughs> Dude, I appreciate that, man. It's it's cool. I'm I'm, I'm glad you're you're resonating with it for sure. 
So tell, tell me, look, why don't we just dive in? You know, okay. Talking, yeah. talking of informal, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm probably all right. Just sorry, Tim. <laughs> but uh, might as well big up your uh, what you're doing initially. Um, but why don't we kind of talk a bit about how you got to where you are now? Um, I, I'm presuming you didn't start where you are right now. You didn't start in the kind of the frame of yeah, minds, man. the worldview you have now. That's not yeah. where you kind of originated. Like what what was growing up as Corey Leak like? How, how did that yeah. kind of all pan out? Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's crazy because I, um, I grew up, well, you know, I was, I was born in Chicago. Um, I was born to a guy who owned a bar, you know, and then my mom, after I was, after, you know, after I was born, married an AME pastor and AME is African Methodist Episcopal. So like, it's this, um, the story of AME church is that they broke away from the Methodist church because they were, you know, they were treated black black people are treated in the united states so um you know they uh, broke away started their own denomination and so it was it's a it's a very pro-black denomination so much so that actually when i was when i was a kid growing up in this ame house um my dad what had told us once that if he ever became bishop he'd have we'd have to live in africa for a while and wow. as a kid i'm like I, I am. I am <laughs> You're terrified. not excited about that. <laughs> no, I'm terrified <laughs> about the notion of going to Africa. And here's here's the reason why. Like, and this, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but the reason why is because I was afraid they wouldn't have my television channels. <laughs> Dude, that makes sense. Like, as a kid that had to move around a lot, like, right. I was not okay with like you know moving to like a town three miles away. Exactly. You take me to another continent? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. That is not going to be yes. happening. So you yeah, were I sabotaging wouldn't... your dad in church, right? You were like, you know, trying to like, you know, drop something in man. his pocket that would get him in man. trouble. Or... Tell me about it. But, you know, he assured us he never wanted to be bishop. So we just kind of like, you know, we just kind of, you know, our, our fears were calmed. But I grew up in this this super black church. Right. But we lived in a town um, in southern Illinois that was very... Um, it was, I mean, dude, it was, it was, well, I found out later in life, it was ravaged by white supremacist violence. So I didn't know this. I just lived in a rundown town. Right. And, and, and it was like, you know, people would call it ghetto, they call it the hood, whatever you call it. There was like not a good side of town. There were, um, gunshots in my neighborhood almost every night. And that sounds like an exaggeration, but it really isn't. I had a friend come over to spend the night, um, from St. Louis, which was a Across the river from where I lived in East St. Louis, he came over to my house and spent the night. Couldn't sleep a wink. Woke up the next morning and said, "Dude, how do you sleep through this?" Basically, like because it's just you just get used to it. I watched right. my, my, one of my best friends' older brothers pull a gun on a guy who's about to shoot him. I think the only reason he didn't kill him is because he saw me, and I'm like probably 11, 12 years old. Um, wow. And so, and they knew my dad was the pastor of this church in the neighborhood, so it was kind of like we had this sort of respect in the neighborhood where people didn't really bother us but mm. this was a really rough area we grew that I grew up in so as a result of that my parents decided they didn't want to put us in these schools in the town I lived in I mean there were metal detectors wow. that kids were going through to get in school so we went to this all-white evangelical Christian school like 20 wow. miles away from my house so I have these two dynamic experiences I have this experience where I live and with the church I go to, that's all black. It's also there's violence and drugs and gangs right outside my outside my house and the black church experience. But Monday through Friday, 
I'm with white evangelicals hearing about white Jesus and hearing about like the, in this, in this white Christian school, the science that I'm hearing about, right. I'm, I'm, right. they're teaching the creation story as the origins of, of men, like the, as a scientific in a science book, not, right. not, not a literature book, not a Bible class, but in a science textbook, Wow. they're teaching the origin of men go is, is the Genesis poem. Like, so, so this is, this is my upbringing. Wow. So I, I went from that Christian school to another Christian school to another all white Christian school that I graduated from in high school. Um, you know, this time in Northern Illinois. And so all of my life, I have this, this duality. I've got the yeah. black experience. I'm growing up in predominantly black neighborhoods. I'm going to black churches on Sunday, Monday through Friday. I'm hearing from white folks about white Jesus. And so um, this is my what I'm living. And so ultimately, at one point in my life, <clears throat> probably at 18, I was so influenced by the white folks that mm. I told my dad, I want to go over to these, this church. I want this other experience. Wow. And th there's this like old mantra I heard years ago that whoever gets whoever spends the most time wins. And I spent mm. most of my time around white evangelicals. So that was that what was sense. shaping my worldview and how I saw, how I saw faith, how I saw the world. Wow. And so I spent like, I don't know, dude, I don't know, 20 years, you know, in that space, I, I developed, wow. you know, I learned that I could sing and play guitar. So I started leading worship and I, you know, I'm, I'm the black, Chris, I'm the black Chris Tomlin for like all of these, you know, evangelical <laughs> churches. Um, and I think it was really Trayvon Martin. <clears throat> that was maybe right. the start of it. Um, where I, you know, and social media was not what it what it is now back then. But for me, yeah. I, I started to share on social media, you know, Black Lives Matter, things like that. And no one really had a problem with it back then. You know, I was I was kind of a, 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 in some maybe smaller white evangelical church spaces. So it's like no big deal. Well, over time, as I, I started being a part of larger and larger white evangelical spaces, those kinds of posts, those kinds of ideas mm. became more and more threatening, right? Yeah. And so I found myself after a trip to Israel and reading Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible? On this like, just this like epic theological journey. And at the same time, socially, everything is changing. You know, there's, there's mm, police yeah. and systemic violence happening everywhere here in the United States. And so those two things at the same time sort of began to change my worldview. And I start looking at white evangelical church and going, wait a minute, like this, <clears throat> wait, how come you're not, how come we're not interested in talking about Charlottesville? Like how, why is it that I, I, I work on staff here? Why is it that like my daughter's texting me, my 16 year old daughter is texting me about this complete, this, this, this hate filled march against black and brown people. And my tribe that I've devoted my life to has nothing to say. Mm. So those sorts of that, that, that kind of started to have me go, what, what are we doing in this space? And, and ultimately man through again, I, I, I do a ton of reading both theologically and socially. And, and I'm finding this very, um, compelling merger that they're not different because i think a lot of people who knew me back in the whole white evangelical days yeah. think that i've made some drastic shift away from theological framework but i've actually made a drastic turn deeper into theology yeah. which naturally leads to 
more of an awareness of what's happening socially. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. kind of a, 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 hopefully that makes sense. Cause I'm, I'm I was, I went all no, the way back to, to yeah. birth almost. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, it gives a really good overview of, of kind of the journey because I think it's just really important to understand where we come from and, and, and the kind of the, the stepping stones along the way because we're constantly going through these changes, but we don't see them at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only when we look back, we're like, oh, wow, those were quite significant shifts. I can't even imagine like um, living in a predominantly black world in a black church, all those different things, suddenly being thrown into white evangelical Christian school. I mean, Christian school is a weird trip for anyone if they're, right. even if they're white, right? I mean, like, geez. But like, to be thrown out of that, I mean, even when you were talking about like, you know, like they're using the Bible to teach creation, like what? Um, is that not, would the AME not do that? Would they hold to more of a kind of like scientific kind of perspective yeah, you know, or just they didn't go there? Or? Well, you know, what's interesting, bro, is that like, I, I when you grow up, um, the way I did. And my mom was a huge influence because she was very much not into the AME church. She, Mm. she was, my mom is very fair skinned, light skinned woman. So she kind of grew up um, a little bit excluded from some of the same racist, um, you know, encounters that a lot of people her age and from her era went through. So she kind of, I I asked her one time, I said, mom, do you remember what it felt like when Dr. King was assassinated? And she said, no, I really don't. She said, I I, I actually have more of an attachment to Kennedy when Kennedy was killed. Mm -hmm. And so it's this really interesting thing with, with my mother, how she, you know, grew up. And so she, she would gravitate more towards white evangelical space and bring me with her. So I growing, though I grew up in this African Methodist Episcopal church, I didn't appreciate it as a kid. Right. You know, I, I thought my dad, you know, God rest his soul, he passed away several years ago. I thought my dad growing up was a very boring preacher, you know, because it wasn't exciting. He didn't have the pictographs and, you know, <laughs> like the white church right. had, right? So we didn't, he didn't have the resources for a children's church and youth group. So all mm-hmm. of us as kids, we're, we're in the adult service. That's not for us, right? You know, right. we're we're going through the boring liturgies and all those sorts of things, and there's nothing tailor made for us as kids except for maybe mm-hmm. Sunday school. So I didn't have this great like um, appreciation, nor do I even remember much of what they were teaching. What I know now about the AME Church is they're certainly more orthodox than a lot of these non-denominational or right. you know uh, type white white evangelical types of churches and, and religious organizations that I was going to school and learning mm-hmm. from. So um, it. And it wasn't, dude, it wasn't even shocking to me, dude. I mean, like, even as I got into high school and probably even early college, it wasn't shocking to me to think that Christian schools had the Genesis poem as their science of how old the earth is, of like how we all came to be. Like, it wasn't even, it, it didn't shock me. It didn't, it didn't start, that doesn't, in fact, to be honest with you, this is the first time I've named how shocking that is, <laughs> you know, wow, so it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, I mean, I think that's a big thing. That's a, uh, it feels like, cause I, cause I'm in, from the UK and I've, I've lived in the US and predominantly the most people watching this, listen to this, you know, um, following me are generally in America about 70% or so, but that always kind of baffled me kind of looking upon that because we tend not to go that 
far down the rabbit hole of like, oh, the Bible's a science book too. You know, it's like, well, no, Christ shouldn't look to that for its science answers. It was never written to give science answers. Uh, people didn't ask questions about science. Science wasn't really around yet. Uh, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, it, it always kind of baffled me that that kind of concept. But when you've kind of gone in it, I, I, I spent a lot of time over um, a, a big church called uh, Bethel, big mega church on the on the west coast, and um, and they are in, yeah, they are in there. Um, yeah. And and after you spent a while there, you're like, I can see this. I can see how if you've if this is your world and this is what you've been brought up with, and this is this Bible is this, yeah, gosh, you don't have many options here. And, yeah. and then you're left in this weird dynamic where you've got to be fighting evolution you're, you're you're left fighting truth so you can yes. uphold your truth uh, yeah uh, you know it's, it's such a problematic area and i can't the the when you're in that level of cognitive distance it must be an exhausting thing to be doing subconsciously all the time trying to suppress yeah. real facts and information to it has uphold to be, something right? that you need to be true right yeah dude uh, and it, it, it's, it's crazy, crazy. what what's crazy too about that is I, I say this often now is that it's like um, it's a little bit like Inception to me, the movie, you know, Leonardo mm-hmm. DiCaprio and the dream within a dream that like you just you when you're having a dream, you don't ask any questions about how you got there. Like if I had a dream about you, Phil, right. I would have no questions like why is Phil in my house? Like none of that right. stuff would come oh, up. Yeah, like, of course, it, Phil, he's always course. in my living room. Yeah, Phil, <laughs> of course, it's always, you know, duh. It, you're just like in the moment that's in front of you. And I feel like so many of us in our Christian journey have mm. woke up in this dream and we don't ask questions. Like, so wow. everything that we're given on Sunday morning from that stage, depending on what church you may go to or what religious organization you're part of, that becomes what is the reality. You you think that a hundred year old theology goes all the way back to Jesus. Right. You think that like the way that church is done and and the structure of church is the way it's always been because it's all you know and i think Mm. it's not until you start to like do some of your own work and do some of your own journey that you begin to realize wait a minute like this hasn't always been the case i'll tell you one one of the things i left out that that was really a a major part of my journey was when i went to israel i actually had the Mm. opportunity with with a church that i was working for to go uh, to israel and i'll tell you what man that was a like amazing <laughs> experience How because so? well it's because to be there where like the things that you read about in scripture actually happen to be mm-hmm. standing on dirt that's thousands of years old right to like to be um to be around people who hail from the the the, the descendants of these people that you've read about yeah. And hear how they talk, how they view the world, the things mm-hmm. that they, you know, that they say about the Bible. I, I remember uh, going to Israel with a very, uh, didn't even realize it, but I had a very fundamentalist view of the Bible, of church, of Christianity. I thought that the Bible was this manual of all fact and everything in there is his history, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're in Israel and I asked our tour guide, <laughs> I said, where is the Tower of Babel? <laughs> Just like I expect there to be something like right, that yeah. there, right? And he was very gracious. We're actually friends now. He's very gracious and said, I think it's over there somewhere, right? Just just didn't want to like crush. He didn't want to tell me there's no Santa Claus, right? right. So, yeah. like, so, I'm, so I just being there and finding out that there are things, um, you know, like um, one of our two guys told us that 
the valley of the shadow of death is an actual place. And he pointed mm-hmm. to it. Said it's right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And then like to hear like hearing things about like um um they're not really being eagles there. So mm-hmm. we're gonna rise up with wings as eagles is a European way of 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 expressing that this the the ultimate bird, while the ultimate bird in Israel is something different. So then I'm like, yeah. okay, wait, they're changing stuff. Like someone actually changed stuff in this book. I thought it fell out of the sky. <laughs> I thought God wrote this, put yeah. other people's name on it, and dropped it out of the sky. Like that's that is what I thought happened to this. So yeah. so when why are all when, you guys speaking English? <laughs> <laughs> so I think, man, I just really it really just changed so much for me to yeah. like be in that space and hear these people talk about things in a real human way, not yeah. in this like out there somewhere in space way yeah i can't even imagine i've always wanted to go to israel it's just like a real dream i just think there's there's got to be something about and maybe that's diminished for me now because i'm not as um uh, fundamentally associated with christianity i still have all my christianity coming with me but uh there's got to be something about standing like on a hill and going whoa people stood on this hill and listened to jesus jesus probably stood a little bit higher up on this hill somewhere and was given the sermon of the man or you know yeah, whatever dude. and you're like yeah dude that that's got to be grounding on some profound yeah. level, just connecting you with, with history. Right. For and sure. It's, For sure. it's astonishing. Well, and also dude, you just mentioned it casually, but it's, they're not that precise. It's like, mm. they're like, well, Jesus could have been here. He could have been there. I mean, we think, you know, it's like, it's like you're there and you're like, wait a minute, isn't like here, you kind of know in America, you're like, yeah, Dr. King stood here. And yeah, at right here in this place, standing right here in this this spot right here is where he was assassinated. You go to Israel and they're like, yeah, Jesus might have been buried here. He might have been buried there. He could have been crucified there. He could have been crucified over there. Just, I mean, you're like, what What happened to all the certainty? What happened yeah. to all the like exact yeah. precise way that the the Western church talks about God and talks about things and talks about history and talks about science from a biblical worldview? You kind of go... It, you act as though here in the West that there is this, mm. you can be very certain and very specific and very precise about exactly what the Bible says. Yeah. And, it, and over in the East, in Israel especially, it's not that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You know, it's only as I start to dive into the Bible and explore this a bit more and then look at it through kind of historical cultural lens, you start to realize all the Jews are laughing at us. Right. They're all kind of like just laughing behind the Christian's back when they're like, oh, they think it's infallible. That's really funny. They think our book's infallible. Like we don't think our book's infallible, you know, like things like that. And it's just like, wait, you don't think this is infallible? What the hell are you like? How do you have a religion? You know, it's, but it's exactly. Western Greco-Roman kind of absolutist, um, you know, we're fact driven. Like if it said there was 500 people there, there are 500 people there. And Jews are like, no, could have been a hundred. could have been 10,000. We said 500 because 500, it means like yes. strong power or, you know, and it's like, yes. what do you mean you changed the number yeah. because it means something? It's yeah. such an offense to the way we think. And it's, yes. it's just, we, we forget there's so much going on in these kind of, um, these ways. And I don't think many evangelicals, um, conventional Christians are in a place to even begin to entertain those kind of notions. I mean, that's yeah. a huge, like when you started kind of exploring this stuff, I mean, I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff going on here. There's, I mean, there's the race element, which is massive. I mean, a huge, um, I, I can't even imagine the, the kind of, um, 
existential kind of like trauma and, and, and whatever going on there. But there's a whole other element of like when you start questioning, you know, the, the foundation of your faith, which, you know, for conventional Christians, the Bible is very much the foundation. It, that, that's got to do some, that's got to fuck you up a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, well, wait, it whoa, is, it is. what are we going to do here? For sure. For sure. I mean, and I think, I think you like, like I said, when you kind of, if you wake up in, in the West as a Christian, you become born again. You are you're born again after a time period where fundamentalism really began, which is mm. back in, in this, you know, early 1900s with to defend against science. So there's this like in the West, this this change, this fundamental change that happened to the way we practice our faith from being something that we practice in a way that helps us to love our neighbor and love the planet fundamentally this is really the, the the orthodoxy of faith is that i love i include i make space for i take care of the widow i take care of the orphan i take care of those who can't take care of themselves and i certainly take care of the world around me to now our faith is about defending some ideas against these other ideas against mm. things that are trying to come for us so science is now is now an attack on what we believe to be true about the nature of the universe and God. So mm -hmm. rather than being people who go, as new information comes to light, I will deal with that new information and I will hold that intention with things that I've previously be believed or thought or knew. I instead go, I am going to fight against yeah. that new information because it it threatens, it threatens what I think, it threatens the what I believe are fundamental truths, which again, somebody chose to make those fundamental truths. Yeah. Like, it's not like, like this whole idea of infallible, the Bible doesn't say that about itself, but this whole right. idea of being infallible and inerrant is something that some human being chose and it was catchy enough that people grabbed it and are willing to die and fight for it. And now here we are years later with a bunch of, of Western evangelical Christians who no longer have the ability to hold their faith and think mm. like to, to, to really go um, science people who devote their lives to studying this stuff are telling us that the earth is some billions of years old. So are you going to believe them and the, the, the myriad of, of writers and scholars and thinkers and the technology, or are you going to believe this one library of writings by people who did not even have a concept of science. Right. <laughs> like they weren't even trying to tell you anything scientific. You're going to believe them and disregard all of the science. Like this right. is what, this is what the whole fundamentalist movement has left us with. Yeah. And it has led us to Donald Trump. This is why yeah. evangelicals are so, he, he had the perfect message for them because the perfect message for a fundamentalist evangelical Western Christian is there is someone coming for us. There is some idea. Mm. There are some people. There is some way of being the gays, the, the people who want to abort their babies and, and, and the black light and the, the black lives matter. And, and, and the, um, and, and to Antifa, all these people are coming for your way of life 
and you have to do something to stop it by electing this person. And Christians were like, mm. yeah, we don't, we don't want, we don't want people to continue to abort babies. And we don't, we don't want the gays to get married and, and them to, them to affect our ideas about the way marriage is supposed to be. And so it was a natural thing for them to go, yeah, we need that guy yeah. to help us keep and maintain a way of Christianity that we've always known. Mm. And like, that's, that is like, that to me is, is what drives my work so much is that like, it's not the Donald Trump's of the world. It's, it's, it is the, it is the people who bought Donald Trump that bother me the most because yeah. one Donald Trump, you know I'm saying he's going to die. He's going to, yeah. eventually he's going to pass away. But the, the, the people who are now raising children and grandchildren who bought into his ideology and, and like the Christians who went from, I'm going to hold my nose and vote for him to being full on advocates with jackets and billboards and hats and yeah. t-shirts. Those people are showing another generation of people like what it means to be Christian. And what's happening now is in my opinion, my humble opinion is younger people are either going, that's bullshit. And I want nothing to do with it. Or they're going, Oh, this is what Christianity is. Yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. Um, if you look at a, a fundamental outlook of of something like um, Christianity, there's only one outcome: is that you read the Bible to find this the right answer, and then we find the right answer in a document that's written between three and a half thousand to two thousand years ago. And there we find the right answer. And the problem with that is it was written at best a couple of thousand years ago. Maybe at best it was updated, you know, a few hundred years after that here and there or whatever. But generally speaking, we're looking at a document that's 2000 years old. And that's our description of what's ideal. Now, we all know some really screwed up stuff was going on back then that still falls into ideal, right? We faced this yeah. with slavery. Right. And yes. we, we had people yes. fighting for slavery using the Bible. Yes. We also had people yes. fighting against slavery using the Bible as well. So, you know, there's different approaches. But when you've got a fundamental approach, the perfect description is in the Bible. It's back then. And then what we have is then any movement beyond that is a evil. It's, it's against the, 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 the word of God, the, the desire of God, yes. the heartbeat of God, yeah. the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is back there. And then what you have is someone comes along and goes, hey, I'm going to make America great again. Any, any Anyone that comes along and says, hey, remember the good old days? I'll drag yes. us backwards. That yeah. becomes the rallying cry for a fundamental Christian. Whereas yeah. someone that goes, hey, I think we can do this better. I think we can be more loving. I think we can be more inclusive. Hey, I want to see a better world for my grandkids. That's actually scary to a fundamental yeah, because it, it means we're going to have to change. We're going to have to embrace yeah. ideas that we don't want to embrace. Um, yeah. And it's, it feels like a, a, an impasse. Do you, do you see, um, do you see a, a hope for kind of like more fundamental expressions of Christianity when you, when you look at it? Or do you think it's just a, a loss? You know, it's, it's, it's gone. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't, I hesitate to say that it's a loss because I, I'm, you know, I have a very, the West, the way the West practices religion is, is, is a part of it, but it's not the whole, mm. you know, there's, there are people who practice faith all over the world in some very genuine ways um, that for all I know could be the majority of people who practice faith. Now it's just, it's, it's a very American thing to think that America's the whole world, right? That like we're number one, you know, and, and what's ironic, if you like Google, it, Google a lot of things, America's not number one in, in a lot that we're no. number one in 
very few things, and none of, and most of those things are not things They're you bad, want. That's usually <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so, but we have this view over here that like our way of practicing faith, our way, our democracy, our currency, our sports, everything is we're the best in the world. Mm. And so I hesitate to to really speak for global Christianity because course, yeah. I I I I I believe um, that ultimately because I believe in God, because I believe in the, like, you know, though that means a lot, means, means it's very different meaning than it used to mean to me when I say that. But because of that belief that all of this is headed somewhere good, mm. I choose to believe that yes, everything can be redeemed and that everything, um, you know, can, every person is redeemable. Um, I, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know what that looks like, but I choose to believe that, yeah, there's, I think that love, that compassion, that grace, that these things that we like all want more of, we all ultimately will have an abundance of that. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, and, and also, and I think any any person that does work in like what you're doing, Phil, with deconstruction, you know, and and putting out content around that, and taking time to podcast and write and blog and and, and teach on these things, I think all, everyone doing that. I don't know a person doing that who's doing it for the money. <laughs> you know God, I'm definitely not doing it for the money. <laughs> so there is something in all of us that are doing this that, that's saying, hey, there's a it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. We can move in a better direction than where things have been going. Yeah. And I think that thing, right, that that has all of us saying the same things. We've never met, like seen each other until mm, today. Yeah. But our work is very similar which leads me to believe there's something out there in the universe drawing us somewhere. Yeah. And I think that that place mm. is good. Yeah. Do you have an indication? So, so one of the things that fascinates me about deconstruction is, is um, we're doing research on deconstruction. It's really, I think it's really important to be doing because it's a really unknown kind of group of people. And it's often lumped in with a whole bunch of people, but it's, it's very varied. But what we're finding is, you can be a deconstructing Christian and you can be an atheist. You can be agnostic. You can be still Christian. You can be progressive Christian. You can still be tiptoeing within quite a bit of fundamental Christianity. You can be moving into Buddhism or, you know, you, you can be almost anything and be a deconstructing Christian. Um, but do you yourself, it sounds like you feel like we're heading somewhere. Do, what, what do you think are the commonalities of, of what, what do you, I guess, you mentioned you believe in God, so you believe there's something that's maybe drawing us forwards. But mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. is that drawing us forwards to? Like, what what is the commonality that you see? I the only commonality I see, and I heard it as you just described it just now, and it was a beautiful description, and I love it. I love that description that 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 everyone's there, right? It's it's more space is the best mm. way I can describe where I think wow. it's headed. And, and to be honest, I think it's already there, but I think it's just ever expanding, like the universe, <laughs> like it's just. Mm more space that more people can find themselves belonging and that even in that belonging there's not this universal sense of we all think and believe the same things like line by line all the way from top to bottom in order to be a part of this club it's that like you said i'm a buddhist i'm an atheist i'm an agnostic i am a evangelical well i don't know about evangelical but i'm a christian you know <laughs> there's a few I'm, in there exactly yeah and and it's like you you are you you can you can belong here right and and the only thing and if i were you know which i thank god i'm not and never should be if i were like the the grand czar 
of the deconstructionist space, I would say that the only thing that disqualifies you from this space is if you decide that you have to impose your shit on everyone else. Because that 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 is fundamentally not what this is about. I love how Richard Ward talks about um, Christianity and how Christianity is in, at its best should be adding to all of the world religions, not competing with them, not yeah. like not trying to prove that we have the market cornered on ultimate goodness. And that I grew up in that. I grew up in so much of this. We have to prove. And I, I remember in, in, in one of these Christian schools I was part of, I think it's my senior year, there's this Bible class. It was all about defending your faith against whatever and this whole apologetics movement which i can't st- i i hate apologetics because it's it is a way for like people who aren't scholarly to have this like real like you know, this this badge of i'm smart about christian stuff yep. even though you're dumb as shit about it like it's just <laughs> i just so so this apolo- so apologetics for, you, you kind of thing perfectly worded why i hate it as well. <laughs> But like, so, and I think like, you know, that whole thing, as I said before, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's what the faith was about. I don't think Jesus was walking the earth trying to uh, defend Christianity against anything. Mm. You know, it wasn't like, yeah. I don't see that from Jesus. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't, I still don't see that. I do see a little bit more of that from Paul, which is an interesting conversation I get into with a, with a uh, Nazarene pastor friend of mine who I have a great deal of respect for. Um, every now and again, I'll text him and say, dude, Paul and Jesus are really different. You know, like, they're just very different <laughs> in how they approach things, which would yeah. make sense. Paul's got, Paul's in a Greek world and he's dealing with Greek people and they're very logical yeah. and they're, they debate things and they're orators and they're, you know, that's that they're, that we lose in, a, in the writings of Paul and, and the authors of the of the New Testament, we lose the Old Testament story and meaning, right? Yeah. The, 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 and even in Jesus' parables, you Jesus' parables are like, they're, they're like these movies that just end. And you're like, well, right. wait. There's no like, kind of what, conclusion. You're like, what, what do you mean? What happens, what, hap- what happens to the prodigal son? What happens to the older brother? Like what, like you're like, what happens or what, what, and I think that's the point is that it's, they're left with this, as I described it, space. Mm. This space. And I think this is it's all at more and more space, more and more people being able to say, yes, me too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel that way sometimes. I, I, I understand that grief. I like, yeah, I have that question or mm. I have that experience. I feel that pain. Like that to me is, is, is hopefully where all this is headed. And, and ultimately again, a space where, um, we as human beings are taking care of people who need to be taken care of. That we're not demonizing people for being poor. We're not demonizing people for, like here in the United States, we have this um, long history of anti-blackness, right? That like we had slavery, we had Jim Crow. We now are living in an era of of police violence and police brutality towards black and brown folks. And so you bury black and brown folks underneath all of that. Mm-hmm. You, there's redlining where like black folks for up until I think recently there were, there were still neighborhoods in the United States where black people could not buy property. Mm-hmm. Right. I was sitting on the back porch uh, about three years ago with, with four or five older black people who in the seventies 
right? In the 70s, we're, we're going to a segregated school, I think in, in Tennessee, right? I was born in 78. I'm only 42 years old. We're not talking about ancient history. So we've yeah. got black folks buried underneath all of this stuff. And then we turn around and demonize them for crime, for violence, for, 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 for rioting. What the hell do you think you would do? What kind of choices do you think, Phil, that you would make mm-hmm. if your only choices are starve, die, or do some crime so you can have some money and live? And any yeah. one of us would do that. Not to mention the fact that we 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 have this real like glorification of crime as long as it's like European crime, like Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And and Absolutely. the gangster movies, right? Those things are we we are like <clears throat> we're like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Oh, look how smart they are. But in real time, if black people make like decisions that that again, are they poor decisions from our perch? Yes. But are they poor decisions when that's when you've got option A, B, and C, and every one of those options is shitty? We don't see that people made the best yeah. shitty decision that they had because we have the privilege of having better options. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you know, so so I see a world, hopefully, where we stop penalizing people for 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 being black, for being poor, you yeah. know, for being other in whatever way that that our society has marginalized them, and then we turn around and and act like it's their fault that they're in the margins. Yeah. It's, this is so huge. I mean, I, when I lived in America, I lived in uh, Northern California and it was like the whitest of white places I've ever been. Um, and I, I'm from the UK and, and we've got quite a bit of diversity, but I'm Scottish. So there's not too much diversity once you cross the border. I think about 5% of Scotland is not white. Um, so mm. pretty low. Um, mm. And what's funny is it's one of the most inclusive areas in the UK. So oh, wow. <laughs> go figure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but going to I mean I I knew one black guy I actually lived with him um and and it was my first kind of introduction to um someone that was black and american and mm. they were so different to someone that I knew that was black and from the uk mm. um and and I was like gosh a lot of these stereotypes I've been given about a black american that's 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 a real culture that actually is a thing like mm. that, that that's going on there and and then just seeing that this person was utterly alone just it was him and in like uh, we were a school of like a thousand people there was a church of about three thousand people it was a town of about a hundred thousand people and i think i like there was maybe like five black people in this town you know i mean it was just yeah. there was no yeah. one and and i was just like i cannot comprehend i mean i felt the odd one out being the only scottish guy there you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but you know what i got by okay as a scot yeah. in, in, in white <laughs> middle-class america um yeah. but uh yeah, I gosh, and, and I was, and I was constantly thinking about that with him. I didn't, I don't think I had the intellectual capacity and the, uh, the anti-racial awareness to ever really have those conversations with him. I wish I had at the time, and I'm sure he would have probably appreciated that. Um, but I do remember at the time thinking, gosh, I feel so out of the loop here. Like a lot of the time when I was in America, I'm like, this place is bloody insane. This place is weird. This place is really, uh, anti a lot of things that I'm like I don't think that's wrong or you know whatever <laughs> and and I felt really like I couldn't speak up all the time so I was there during the 2008 and 2012 elections um, and they were very much like the only Christian vote is this vote and guess what it wasn't yeah, for the black man. guy um, and, uh, and I was like this surprise, is weird. Surprise. You're 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 saying that the Mormon is a Christian, not the guy that goes to church every Sunday. Um, yeah. Like a yeah. week ago, before you found out this guy was uh, running, you would have said Mormons are cults. 
right? <laughs> you would have said it was a cult. Um, and 100%. I'm just like, this seems weird. But like, but the point, I guess, being like, uh, I cannot even comprehend the whole other level it is to come from what is like a huge subculture. Um, and I guess it's it's something I've thought about a lot when it comes to deconstruction because deconstruction um, is remarkably a white space. Like hugely, it's a white space. I don't know if you would agree with me on that, but certainly from my perspective, uh, and I, and we all gravitate to bubbles and maybe I attract more white people and yeah, they yeah. recommend more white people and there's more white <laughs> leaders that I'm talking to or, you know, that's natural. And I, and I think yeah. in some ways inescapable unless we're intentionally anti-racist and really pushing yeah. um, for, for different voices to be in the mix and, and, and influencing us. But I frequently say, guys, who, who are the black, you know, indigenous people of color that are in the deconstruction space? I, I've got lots of people that are black and indigenous and, uh, and brown or whatever that I'm following that speak to me about race, that speak to me about a whole bunch of different things. But there's very few that are talking about deconstruction. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem to be going on. What do you think are some of the components going on there? There seems to be a lot going on. And, and I've got different ideas, but I'd love to hear what you think as far as why that is. Well, I mean, it's... it's yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't think I'd even thought about that before. I, what what comes to front of mind, just as, again, this is all just my opinion. I haven't, I haven't even done, done a lot of deep thinking about this. Um, but if you think about the civil rights movement, um, there were religious people at the forefront of it, um, you know, here in the United States with Dr. King and Malcolm X. And um, I mean, you've got, you know, Ida B. Wells and, and, and Ella Baker and Rosa Parks and, and and these folks were all faith-based people. Jesse Jackson, Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, Minister Farrakhan. Like the, even you think about today with Linda Sarsour, Ben and Michael McBride, Sean King was a pastor. Um, so you, you've got these people that you know are have these this faith base that move more into the social. Uh, I shouldn't I, I shouldn't say move into because the faith should be. Right, progressive social overlap. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not different, right? But I think that what you, what I'm what what is probably true. It's a couple of things. One, black folks don't have time to name it deconstruction because they're mm-hmm. fighting for their lives. Number two, the black church has always been so actively involved in social issues, from race to gun violence to you know because even in even in in, in our own communities there has been anti-gang violence and anti-gun violence and, and in our own sort of not war on drugs, but our like our own training and teaching and, and sitting with people about staying away from drugs in our community because of how harmful they are. Um, so that we there's within the black community is own things happening where I think a lot of people arrived at deconstruction and decolonization at the same time mm. and where black folks didn't have to decolonize. Because the black church has already, as we talked about earlier, the AME church is very different than the white evangelical schools I was right. going to. I just didn't appreciate it as a kid. But the AME church is already out there in the forefront of justice and taking care of the poor and the widow. Um, because it's it's what's right outside the front door of black churches in America. I have a friend of mine, Michael McBride, who's been on my podcast, whose um, his church is in the middle of Berkeley, downtown Berkeley. Um Whenever there is some sort of gun violence or some something that happens, a lot of times those people go to his church. So it's not like the the white evangelical suburban church that has to drive forty minutes to the scene of the crime. 
you are pastoring in a community mm. where the crime has happened. It's outside your front door. So people in the community know you, you're already there. So again, you don't have the time to, to sit and think philosophically about deconstruction because you've got people who's liable. You got, you got a, a mom whose eight-year-old was hit by a stray bullet, right? Who you have to care for now. Um, so I think you just, I think it's just a different deal. And, and, and so I think, um, and again, also, the, the point I really want to drive home is that you're not, de- you're not decolonizing. Yeah. Like you, you are, you are, you already know the power of the black church. You already know what the black church has meant to communities and what it continues to mean and what it continues to offer and how many of my family members they buried, how many of my family members, the black church married. So it's like you, you have this attachment to the black church because of what it has done for you at an existential level not mm-hmm. what it has taught you necessarily it's not just like yeah. oh i learned about jesus there it's that they were there for me when i needed it gospel music as an example i was listening to randomly listening to gospel music yesterday i, I very rarely listen to any christian music anymore but like i'm listening i just had this like hankering for gospel music to start listening to fred hammond and these songs i'm listening to you know his discography, all of these songs and every one of them comes out of struggle. Every one of them is this like, this contrast between a shitty experience with a divine justice and goodness and provision um, and wholeness and peace that that's already existing. It's They weren't necessarily songs about like defending our faith. They were songs about God being a fence, a shelter, a, a strong tower, you know, all of those things um, where I don't know that for a lot of white folks in church um, that that's been the case. I remember when I first started leading worship at like this, you know, fairly large white church and I brought with me this whole like God's going to help you financially, right? God's going to help you with your bills. God's going to help you with, with, you know, getting out of debt, all those things, right? That, that like, um, depending on your perch again, some of that could be prosperity or, or some of that could just simply be hope that like, you know, when your baby need a new pair of shoes, that God's going to help you. So I remember going into white spaces and, and I remember feeling such a uh, reluctance to go there. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't need to hear that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need need to hear that God is a provider necessarily. I mean, I'm not to say that every white person has all their needs met. Of course, course. every human being has needs, but by and large, if you look at like, if you look at at a macro level and you go, what is it that a white person from the suburbs who comes to church, like what is the desperate need that they have for God? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that that for me, black folks desperate need a lot of black folks, desperate need for God that they found in church. Um, they would cling to it because they needed it. Yeah. And a lot of white folks weren't necessarily clinging to their Christian faith because their life was, I, you know I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. so like, you know, so they're, they're then it's, it's a little bit, probably a little bit easier for them to go, oh, let me deconstruct from this. Cause I don't need it. Yeah. It's part of it my doesn't life. doesn't cost as much. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I have wondered as well. And, and, and it's, it's intriguing to me that, of course, you are a black person that was heavily within a white world, uh, as far as your faith goes, certainly. Um, and that intrigues me because I do often wonder, you know, for looking from the outside and looking at data, I, I'm a very data driven person. I, I do research. Mm-hmm. So I love the data. And, and there's no question that uh, black America is Christian. You know, it's like, Christian landscape, right? Compared to white America is very Christian as well, but the data gap between those two 
statements is big. You know, if you're black in America, you're Christian almost without question. If you're white, probably, yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, Or you might say you're Christian, but how often do you go to church? But it just feels that um, uh, to be black in America is to be a part of a community that Mm -hmm. overlaps with church. Mm-hmm. Um, and overlaps with Christianity, you know, in that there is a community that is driven, that is, we are in this together, we're here, mm-hmm. we, we are, you know, you pick up the Bible and you read about the oppressed, we are the oppressed, right? The white people have to go, oh, uh, the, the, um, uh, 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 look, at the, look, look at that person, he, he wants to take away my rights to uh, sell this thing, exactly. I'm the oppressed in the Bible, whereas you know, black people are going, yeah. no, I'm literally, yep, I was a yeah. slave a few generations back, yes. you know, like, yes. it, it, it's yes. not hard and and so i i do wonder if the the conflation between what it is to be black and being a christian is is such a tight interwoven thing do, do you have thoughts on that and and yeah. if, if that is problematic potentially I, i'm not not trying to critique that but just saying yeah. if there are people that want to deconstruct maybe people that are going i'm not sure about my faith but that doesn't feel like as uh, free an option that what like you're saying a white person has the privilege of going eh, if i don't fit in my church anymore it's not a big deal but black yeah. person doesn't fit in their church in the local community anymore that could be from my yeah. perspective looking in it could be a very different scenario as, as far for as sure. what it costs for sure is, is that mean, fair or, or do you yeah think i think i think it is fair what's going on i think it's i think there's so much to it right i think that you, you know you kind of touched on it when you talk about the christian faith has always been um a a bottom-up sort of message when it comes to the hierarchy. I mean, you, you think about like the, the the mythology of the birth of Christ, where you know we're in the Christmas season, right? That that whole mythology is a shepherds who were the shittiest people in right. the in, in the social construct of that day. You didn't get lower than shepherds. Shepherds find out first before kings, before priests, before. Um, you know, before farmers, before before tax collectors, before any important people find out in the mythology of Jesus, this story, this narrative that Luke and Matthew mm. give us about the birth of Christ, right? They, they 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 are specifically saying that this is not going to be like the other stories that you've heard, where in a castle somewhere or in this you know this 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 regal setting that this this savior of the world was born like you know the stories you heard about caesar this is a different story this starts with poor people so i think that like that truth that reality when you think about black people in the united states that type of story would resonate right that type of that and the slave owners knew that too, because we, as we've seen over, over, I think it was I don't know two three years ago, came to light that this that slave owners removed Exodus from the Bible mm. that they taught the slaves. Why? Because the Exodus story is a story of liberation. Right. You don't want your you don't want your property getting any ideas that God yeah. would rescue them. So that's removed anything about liberation it's removed from their Bible, so they can't read that. Because so again, speaking to the power of what the Bible communicates to a group of people who have been enslaved, who have been oppressed, who have been pushed to the margins. So naturally in, in the United States, black folks will go, yeah, I resonate with a story like that. Oh, 400 years of slavery? Yeah, that's that's our story. Like, So I think there's that component that's like, there's something to all of this that I can get down with mm. for black folks that makes it a little bit um, you know, harder for black folks to go, I gotta deconstruct some things. Yeah. Um, but, but also I think that, you know, there's, 
there are more and more black folks though that I see all the time that are going, you know, I don't know why y'all believe in that 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 Christian stuff because that's a white man's religion. I have a, a, yeah. a good friend who calls it uh, who calls uh, uh, his experience being a part of the denomination that him and I both were part of as a as a as a white supremacist death cult, right? So people are wow. like coming out of that going, yeah, that was bullshit. Um, it's just, I, I just don't think black folks are as noisy about it, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, it's, yeah. it's interesting you bring that up because I hadn't thought about black folks and deconstruction. It's just kind of something, you know, I, I've just kind of been in because it's been interesting to me. It's been my journey. Um, yeah. I, I know black folks who have done it and just were just like, yeah, you know, I did it, whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we got we got wow. bigger fish to fry. Yeah. No, and and that's it. I mean, uh, we I talk as fairly often that the level of privilege in being able to deconstruct, right? I mean, like just having the time. I mean, I, I have the level of privilege where I do this full time as well. I, I, it's my job to deconstruct, right? <laughs> People are like, oh, like how come like you figured this bit out much quicker? And it's like, because uh, I do it like 12 hours a day, exactly. right? How, exactly. how many hours are you doing this? You know, like yeah. you've got kids and a wife and a job and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like you throw into other mixes of like, geez, you've got like, gunfire keeping you up all night you're being you know systemically oppressed you're not you know the access to the same education you like there's so many layers and layers in which um privilege is just stripped away um that yeah i mean deconstruction is is a very privileged process it, yeah. it, it, that really intrigues me what you talk about with um you, you talked about you know the concept that i mean and it is it's true that that Christianity is the white man's religion in a sense, right? I mean, that the, the black people in America that are Christian are Christian because white people dragged them out of their beds somewhere else and brought yes. them to America and, and gave them that religion. Do, do you have thoughts on, I mean, how do we navigate that? Because it, it, it helps a lot of people, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no getting yeah. around the fact that that's true. And yet yeah. at the same time, Wow, that's that's kind of fucked up, right? It's like, what, that, like, what what's going on there? Like that that's a that's a head trip. That is a head it, trip. It is, bro. And and you know, Rob Bell's uh, latest book, Everything Is Spiritual, uh, is mm. has been a really good read for me. Um, and one of the things that he highlights in that book that I think are that I think is amazing is he's he he go, he goes down this whole uh, this whole rabbit hole of um, oh gosh of. Uh, Physics. What's that? There's this term for some physics, like nu- no, oh, nu- like quantum physics kind of stuff. Quantum, quantum physics. Yes, yeah. he goes on this whole rabbit hole of quantum physics and starts talking about particles and atoms and everything belonging and being in space together, right? And but this one line he uses is that everything is a part of the whole, right? It's mm-hmm. a it's a part. This this awful experience is part, and this great experience is part. And these people you've broken away from are parts and you are part, right? So it's all uh, parts of the story. And so as I look at, you know, chattel slavery and, and antebellum South and, and, you know, the Jim Crow era, it's a part of a greater story. Um, it's a shitty ass part that we're still living out of. Mm. And inside of that, you find something divine happening in the resolve of black people. Like you find this, like this, this strength to continue to go on. You find this, like um, something divine happening. I believe a divine energy is in black women and in their resiliency and the fact that they keep getting up and the fact that they 
keep writing and championing and carrying us even even most recently in the in the in the elections that black women came out and said we got you again right something divine that continues to happen um that i think is the redeeming part of god because i really don't give a shit anymore about what you know book or tradition or you know practices you have that like teach you about the nature of the creator the fact is that there is something like whatever you name that thing you can name it a person you name anything there is something that gave life to you and i mm-hmm. like there's something that did that there there's you if you think it's random if you think it's whatever there's still something right that did that and so to me that's the redeeming part of it that allows me to be able to look back at some of the African religion that I don't even know about, some of the African uh, deity, some of the African ideas about spirituality that were stripped from people who live in America. So much so that there were black people who were um, basically literally demonizing Beyonce because Beyonce in her most recent um, you know, short film was like dressed as some of the African- oh, yeah. Yep. And people were like, oh, that's demonic and yada, yada, yada. And, and again, because here in the United States, we don't even have a connection, many of us, to how sacred that was to our ancestors. Mm-hmm. We don't get we don't get we don't get to have that. We don't we don't get to to lean into that. We don't get to buy that. We are we are told that that is demonic, that mm-hmm. that is antichrist before we even get to discover it for ourselves. So there's the tension to me is that like with Christianity, there's like, don't believe, read, think about anything else, but these handful of things we gave you, all of that and all the stuff your ancestors practiced was savage and wrong and evil and demonic and whatever, just stay away from it. While also having that in the teachings of Jesus, even some of the really fucked up ones that we got from white evangelicals, there's some, you know, radical truth there. There's, there's, there is, I think, as there always has been, I think we find God at work in great things and we find God at work in things that are not so great. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's that to me, again, is all a part of this thing headed somewhere good and it doesn't always make sense. And there's some awful turmoil. I mean, you know, there right now sitting outside my house for the last week. It's the strangest thing. And, and at some point I may develop the courage to go out there and see what's happening. But there's a there's a man who's sitting on the bench across the street. There's like a park across the street from my house. It used to be a, used to be a golf course. And he's been sitting there, like sit, like sitting there. And I've actually, it's so much so that I feel it's made me like have this philosophical thought. How long could I sit in one place and do nothing? Just sitting, <laughs> yeah. right? But he's, and I'm like, this, this is a person, my brother in life who has now, has some story that causes him to sit on the bench outside of my house. And I have a story that has me in the warmth. Um, mm. Sometimes my house is too hot. We have, we have too much, we have, I have too much food in my refrigerator right now. Like, and, and, and I feel that, right. And I go, you know, it's terrible what's happened to him. I believe anyway, based on what I'm seeing, but it's also, I also thank God every day for what I have. Yeah. Um, both things are divine. 
and I don't understand it. And I think it's shitty to be honest, you know, but both things are somehow divine. And I, I, I love the fact that there's so much mystery in the deconstruction space and the way mm. I think about God now that I can shrug my shoulders a lot and go, I don't know, yeah. but I believe something is at work here and I don't have to control it. I just get to follow it. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing space to come to where we can kind of just go, oh, I don't know, but I'll probably just get a bit closer to figuring it out at some point. I don't know. Um, again, maybe that's, that's a level of privilege on some of it. These are kind of topics that maybe are like, you know, um, either so out there, it doesn't matter, right? We spend time thinking about things that who even knows and who cares? Yeah. <laughs> or or we're thinking about things that we're, we're on the, the lucky side, right? So I'm thinking about why do some people go hungry and so other people have too much because I have too much in my fridge right now. But I've also thought about that when I've had very little in the fridge and it was less of a, oh, I wonder, oh, I guess I'll figure out one day. It was like, well, maybe there'll be a, a you know, <laughs> what if I die between now and then of hunger, you know? Yeah. This, this yeah. very real kind of like breadline stuff. But even just on a, just on an existential level, on a, on, a, on an internal feeling okay in the world and 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 feeling grounded to to your being, being able to shrug off stuff and go, I don't know. That's that's a that's a a, a psychological state that people arrive at if they're lucky. It feels like most people aren't in a place where they can shrug off. Most people need a bit of a, a black and white answer to these these questions in life. Um, ha, have you always been a bit like, ah, who knows? Or, or have you, have you kind of done that shift from being a bit more black and white to kind of not knowing? And how did you navigate going from one to the other? Because what yeah. I found is a lot of people, they lose their black and right. So they've got black and white and this is the right answer. And they lose that answer because it doesn't make sense anymore. But what do I believe now? Right. So yeah. <laughs> they still want yeah. a black and white world, but they don't yeah. have that option. And it's only yeah. over time they kind of, get to that place like how did you kind of yeah, navigate man. all that like yeah i mean i think some of it was by accident you know i think some of it was just sort of you know you stumble into it um you know i think i um i was i was definitely very black and white through my teenage years which is interesting too right because i, I say this often uh, deconstruction is its most fun when it's just you but when you've got wife and kids especially teenagers deconstruction is less fun like mm -hmm. we can rail on purity culture all day until you've got daughters. Right. <laughs> yeah, talk about sex with them. Right. You know, so I think this like, um, you know, recently um, I've been thinking a lot about stages and seasons. Mm -hmm. And I told my brother yesterday, I said, you know, we needed a youth group as teenagers because teenagers brains are a scrambled mess. Right. They are. They, especially, you know, I've got an 18 year old. She is learning 19. She just turned 19 yesterday. She is learning awesome. how to be grown, but she doesn't know how to be. She mm -hmm. has autonomy and she lives at home and she's figuring out what she wants to do. But she's like, you know, I think she, I think she's an Enneagram seven, which is why I can't get her to take the damn test because I think that's just, <laughs> you know, so, but like I, I, she's adventurous. I want to explore. I want to do this. I want to do that. And the other, and, and I necessarily think about the future. The future will be here when it gets here. And I think, there's a season where grounding is important while you're like developing in this sort of stage of like you're, you're, you're about to leave the nest and become an adult. And I think that there are these, you know, Apostle Paul kind of talks about this briefly, like where you had like these 
these teachers that would teach you, which is what he describes as the Torah, is almost like this training wheel thing, right? That like you need before you start writing. And so I think that like, I don't know, Phil, if it's a black and white season that's important, but I do think there's a season where you need something to deconstruct from. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I, I just, I agree. I, you know, so I, I'm, I'm like, you know, it serves a purpose. It has a, um, you know, some benefit. Um, and that's how I'm navigating it now because mm. I'm now watching my children, you know, at, at the stage where I was going to youth group every week, I wasn't even listening to any music that wasn't Christian. I wasn't watching radar movies. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't drinking. I was doing none of those things. I was, you know, I was, I believed that the moment I did anything wrong, Jesus was going to come back and the rapture would happen. Right. That's, that's what right. I grew up, right? Sing on your own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd be here and have to fight the mark of the beast and all this other bullshit. Like I, I thought that right growing up. So, um, you know, I, I look back and say, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I don't want my kids believing that kind of trash, but I do want something for them. That's yeah. like um, grounding and centering and, yeah. and, and gives them a moral compass um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 myself before my kids got older, it was, it was all fun and games. It was beautiful. And I loved every minute of it. Um, I remember being in church, even, you know, then I still worked at a church when I first started deconstructing and, and all the songs were different, mm-hmm. you know, they like were more beautiful somehow, some of them, not all of them, because some of them were, some of them turned out to be like, well, I can't believe I ever sung this, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> but some of them were, were really beautiful where you're like, oh, yeah, that feels big. That feels mysterious. That feels mm. a little bit dangerous. That, feel, that doesn't feel like, you know, God, my, you know, the, the, the Jesus is my homeboy type stuff. You know, that, that it feels like it does justice to the enormity of the concept of God mm-hmm. that, and I've said, you know, I, I believe everyone believe something about God that, you know, whether they believe that God is, is, you know, all knowing, all powerful with us expressed through Jesus or, you know, in light and, you know, and we're all part of God or they don't believe there's a God. Everyone believes something, which, you know, to me, I think is, is this still keeps us all in some ways tethered Mm. to the idea into the concept of God. And that to me is, is what I've still to this moment find to be very, very beautiful. Cause if the, the Jesus, the God that, that I had black and white certainty about, that's a boring ass eternity. If there is an eternity, if it, like, if I've got an yeah. eternity to like be in whatever state there is after this, um, that's boring as hell to think like, Oh yeah, I, there's 66 books that told me everything I didn't know. What's next? You know what I mean? So I think this, <laughs> this, um, this space where I don't even know if there's an afterlife is, is, is scary and awesome and like mysterious and big and beautiful. Um, and I think it, I like, I think I like this better. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I was actually just uh, recording a prior podcast and we were talking about suffering and pain and, um, and, and the person just basically just said like, well, like the thing is, if we get rid of all that stuff, right? I mean, what is life as well? Like it sounds nice for a while, like it really does. But after a while, it's like, oh, so what are we going to, 
build and overcome and like you know and how do we even frame good if there's no bad or like you know pleasure if there's no pain or you know it it it, it there it does feel like to be this you know double-edged sword to the whole thing um yeah have you ever studied um like spiral dynamics or a human psychological development model or anything because that's really um, what you're touching I have on a, it feels i like. have a little i have a little bit like a very little bit in fact i, I had um uh, Mike McCard, aka Science Mike, on the podcast mm. um, not too long ago, and I specifically asked him about spiral, spiral dynamics because I think okay. there was an there was an episode of the Liturgist that I was fascinated by that he was yeah, talking about it. One on that, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, 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 very little, but I do love the idea of it. Right, I, I do yeah. love like the, the idea of an evolving human consciousness, mm. and that it's not, you know. What I love about about spiral dynamics is that it's not like it's levels, and and they're very specific. In saying it's not levels, yeah, it's not. It's just space. It's just yeah. movement. You know, it's just and, expanding. And, yeah, and you just can't. I can't look at someone who's, you know, red and say you're stupid because I'm turquoise. I'm yeah, it's like it's like you just right in there. Just like, just yeah, it's just a bit more it, as well. Yeah, exactly right. And I think I think to me, what that's what I love about it is 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 the evolving human consciousness that, that mm, we're yeah. consistently evolving. And I think even that term evolving, people, you know, the fundamentalists have such a hard time with the notion of evolving because yeah. evolving is scary because we're gonna go yeah. out there to somewhere different than where we are now. And this is again why. Um, white folks have the hardest time with this or anybody at the top of the caste system has a hard time with going on to the next thing because in the next round, I might not be on top. Yeah. In the next, it, it, it's projected that in the United States by the year 2040, white folks will, will, will be the minority for the first mm-hmm. time in the history of the United States. Yeah. And a lot of them are scared to death. That's what Donald Trump was. That's what a wall to keep Mexicans out of the United States was. That's what that, that that's like this. We have to stop this progression because in the next season, we won't we, we may not be on top the way we are now. So anybody who's benefiting from the current season looks at the next one and goes, wait a minute. This yeah. is and this again, this is this is woven into the, the mythology of the Christmas story is that yeah. Caesar sees the threat of what another king who's Jewish, like nah, nah I, I, we gotta we gotta stomp this out kill before it ever. We gotta kill this before it ever becomes something that shifts the power dynamic. Man, that's that is, um, you know that that's what that's what makes life so beautiful. Is and we even talked about it a few minutes ago, and and no one, none of us love the season where we're not on top. None, none of us love the the right. hungry season. We don't love the empty fridge season. We do love the mm-hmm. full fridge, but we don't love the the empty fridge yeah. season. And, and and I think that's another thing that Paul said. And, you know, I don't. I mentioned earlier that I think Paul and Jesus are different. I don't hate Paul. I just think they're different. Like Paul talks about learning to the, the secret to life is being content with whatever state I'm in. Mm. Um, recognizing that there are going to be different stages that I'm in. There's going to be a time that I'm hungry. Yeah. And there's going to be a time that I'm full. There's going to be a time yeah. that I have more than enough and not enough. And how do I learn to live with the same level of peace throughout all of that? Mm. It's, it's interesting. You know, we talk about no one wants to be in the stage of suffering. No one wants to be in the stage of hunger. 
And yet there is a component that once we get through those things, you know, the, the, the death of a loved one, maybe a, a illness or whatever, there's a component where we can look back on that and go, gosh, I so value that season that that shaped me. It formed me. I learned this and that I grew so much closer to this person because of that. Or it, it, it's fascinating that, yeah, you, it, it, uh, Ram Das talks about it as a fierce grace. And he says, I wouldn't, he talks about his own stroke and he says, I would not wish the stroke on anyone, but I wish the grace that came from the stroke on everyone. Mm. Um, and, and that's it, right? It's, I, I look at the, the season of my mom passing and I go, God, I don't want anyone's mom to die. God, no one should ever lose anyone. Let's just take that off the table. And yeah, I really hope every person can learn some of the lessons I learned through that. So yeah. much. I wish that people could learn those lessons. And, and, and it, it's a really, it, it, when you look at your life in these kind of like stages or seasons and, and things, and you start to realize, gosh, who would I be without these, these, these yeah. moments, you know, it's, it's very, yeah. it's very hard. Um, and maybe it's a bit of privilege because we've got the space to look back on a hard time. Maybe, maybe we'd be thinking differently if we always were hungry, right? If we never had a full fridge yeah. at any point. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you never, I, if I don't you know, never like, right. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, a whole nother kind of level. But I guess the reason I brought up Sarah that is, is the concept of that you need, and Richard Rohr talks about this in the two stages of life, right? The first stage of life, you build your, your structure, your ideas, you know, what is life and who am I and all this. Mm-hmm. And in the second stage, you go, Oh, it's all crap, crap. It's all falling <laughs> apart. And you start to refigure out everything you do. Um, and I think you're right. I think, you know, when you look at someone like a teenager, they're in a stage of life where they're straddling the, the second stage of maybe stepping into some autonomy. But generally speaking, they still want some structure. They want some, some rights and wrongs, some yes and no, some black and white, some, some they want to know how do I fit in this world and how, what works. And often they need someone to kind of give them some of that. Um, and it, it intrigues me as to how we go about that as we destruct. I mean, your kids presumably grew up in the Christian world. Yep. And then they yep. have, watched you i don't know whether you were very open with your kids about that process or maybe you weren't initially and it became more but how is how have you navigated having children and helping them deal with your deconstruction while trying to give them some structure and you know yeah, life I mean, uncertainty I, and it, it well so that com- combined with COVID 19 has just mm. been a very interesting dynamic because you know we were going to church we you know we'd go to black church together because they love black church. I mean, we, we spent, since they were born, we were part of predominantly white churches, you know? So mm. um, after, you know, I I was working at a, a large white church here in the, in the Bay Area got, and, you know, we parted ways, um, not not in a great way. You know, it wasn't like we parted ways. It was like, oh, it was great. And it's very rarely with church <clears throat> breakups that it's like, great. It's normally, there's normally some story that's pretty shitty. Um, so, you know, they, they started to gravitate towards black churches, felt home for all of us. Well, we, you know, part of black church, and, and I'm, I'm curious too, to, to think about how black churches are doing like this whole online church thing, because mm. black church is very experiential. It's very, you're there in the space, you're shaking hands. It's like, it's a reason why the schedule is loose. You know, yeah. whereas a lot of white evangelicals would describe black church as unorganized, I would say that it's just a, it's a very casual atmosphere. It's like, well, mm-hmm. the reason we don't start right at nine is because people are fellowshipping at nine. 
Yeah. You know, church doesn't start with the first note being played. It starts with you arriving there, seeing people that you know, and you're you're touching them, you're hugging, you're finding out how their Thanksgiving was. You're you know you're 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 all of those things. You know, you're talking about your kids. Yeah. Um. And you know, then at some point at nine oh five, nine ten, someone starts playing an instrument, and and church begins. And that's been demonized by no. like you know white <laughs> church because like oh that's 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 backwards. No, that is. God, that is right. the, the fellowship, right? So we don't have that anymore. So my kids going, watching me with deconstruction and, and, and part of how they start to watch it, I wasn't like walking around going, kids, I'm deconstructing. Right. It was just like- When things came up and they had questions, the answers were different. Right. The sex, sex conversation when I was a fundamentalist, pretty much white evangelical, when they were five years old was don't be gay. That's that's right. the conversation. They I didn't say that to them, but I said, "Hey guys, I want you to know that like, you know, that about sex. Sex is for, you know, married moms and dads. Mm. You know, that's what I taught them when I was when they were five. Now here we are years later, and I'm going, yeah, that was bullshit, guys. I'm sorry, I told you that. <laughs> like, so it's just like it's just like different, you know. It's not again that I'm saying that like, you know, I'm you know I'm deconstructing. It's just they were. Mm. That, Life happens and yeah. your answers to life things are different than they were when they were younger. Yeah. And some of the big things like, you know, dad, do you think when we go to heaven that we blah, blah, blah. And we'll go, actually, I'm not sure we go to heaven. And then that's a whole other conversation. Right. So <laughs> right. I think, yeah. So, so I think it's just like, you know, I think, I think it's that. And, but, you know, I'm finding uh, the other day, I, you know, I was, I was praying and meditating while I was getting ready. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know what it means for God to speak in the same way that I used to have the certainty that this voice you hear in your head is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Mm. <clears throat> but it was whatever this thought, idea, voice was gave me a certain level of peace. Um, and that voice was, I know how to name myself to your kids, right? This is what I felt. I mm -hmm. felt this overwhelming sense of like, oh, okay, like I don't have to worry about them though I'm out here deconstructing. Like if I were dragging them to Sunday school every week versus now, ultimately the thing that has to happen is that the divine has to introduce themselves to my children. That's mm -hmm. what has, that's what happened to Abraham. You know, in the, in the stories that we read, that's what happens with, all these people who encounter the creator, it's like, you know, the creator shows up and they, and, and introduces themselves. Mm. But what's, what's actually beautiful about having black daughters is the, the one time that the creator uh, gets a name from a human being is Hagar, who's a black woman. The mm. one time in all of scripture that the creator gets named by the person that they encounter is with this black woman. So I'm like, okay, you know how to find your way to people regardless of, where they're at. So whatever needs to happen that's good and and full and life-giving for my children as they grow up, I just now trust that God can do wow. that. I don't have to. That's a beautiful place to arrive for sure. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I could imagine a lot of people listening going, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I want that for me, never mind for kids, you know, like, um, it, it, it sounds beautiful, you know, how have, 
how have um have you felt in that process a, a need to shelter your kids from your, your the like the uncertainty you mentioned your kids like ah oh, i'm not sure we go to heaven like that could be a really like unsettling thought i mean that's not selling thought for any human but like as a yeah. young kid you know i don't know i, I remember as a kid there are a few things holding me together at times other than, oh, at least I get to go to heaven at some point because yeah, it's a yeah. shit show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so like, yeah. you know, do, do you, I mean, even, even I think of my dad, I think of this unchanging rock. Now he's changed a lot in the more recent years, but like, you know, as a kid, certainly my perspective was like, dad knows everything. He's just like this mm. machine. You know, it doesn't even show emotion almost, maybe apart from anger occasionally. He's just like, <laughs> you know, he's in his zone. He does his thing. He, he's on it. He didn't even cry when my mom was like, it, it, she was very ill when we were younger and might have died. And he's just, he's just, you know, a wall and he'd go away and cry. I mean, he tells us now, you know, that's, that's it. Uh-huh. But he'd come back and he's straight face for the kids. And, and, and then for the thought of my dad to be like, uncertain and not sure and and you know going through a lot of that i think as a kid that might have like i don't know if it would have been a good thing might have been a really nice and healthy Mm. thing actually in some ways but in other ways i think it would have kind of shaken me um like how how have your kids responded to having a dad who's gone from right guys this is it just don't be gay uh don't you know (laughs) sleep with them before marriage uh the 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 earth is made this long ago i don't know you probably never got into that one but like you know to suddenly like ah I'm not so sure kids you're gonna have to figure this out <laughs> like that's yeah it. i think I, I think they've i think they've it's a good great question i probably should ask them um but, you know mm. what i'm observing from them is um you know that they're the same kids that they've always been you know um believing a lot of the same things especially my youngest one um she actually just mentioned going to heaven two days ago you know, and, I, and i didn't stop her and say hey <laughs> you know it's just right, like yeah. You know, uh, I, I, you know, it's funny. We think about heaven and hell, and like, you know, the fundamentalist way of like this—that's the ultimate scoreboard of how your life went, right? Is that you know you suck, you have so many points, and and you know if you have enough, you get to go to heaven. If you don't, you go to hell, and you suffer forever. That's to think about that—that that, that you <laughs> forever. Okay, so your lifespan is 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 as is proportionate to eternity the same way that a golf ball is proportionate to the earth. Right. That's the lifespan of right. uh, that we have. So for for that lifespan to go south in any way means that you spend the rest of eternity somehow burning. Right. To me, we are doomed. It, like, it's a very just, s- that's that's too narrow. Game. You know? Yeah. It's just you just <laughs> we're all fucked if that's how this works. So I have to, you know, at this point, I'm like, if it depends on me, like, I mean, like right now, how I think and how I believe, I didn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I want to deconstruct today. I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I, you know, I, I want to, I want to believe something different. I want to, I want to like discover something different. I want to feel drawn to something different. I didn't ask for that. So for me yeah. to be where I'm at and if where I'm at then is somehow anti-Christ in such a way that I am doomed to an eternity of burning torment that's really cruel mm-hmm. yeah so and i think about my kids from that vantage point i go what i want for them is for them to to, to grow up with a sense of dignity that they have in themselves right that they believe that they do carry the image of god however how, however that man even if they don't name it that 
but that they carry themselves in such a way that their life has meaning and purpose and that they are um, living in this ever expanding universe, making space for people this is the way they are now. Mm-hmm. This generation, this generation is making space for everyone. We, we didn't even tell them to do that. They just, they're just doing it. Right. Yeah. So that like that they're doing that, um, that they're, that they are, you know, that they're finding joy in their life. Um, you know, to me that, that they are participating in what I believe to be the advancement of, of the way God wants the world to be arranged, that they're participating in that. I think every one of them is going to in some way do that. Like, I feel okay with that. I, I don't know what all you're going to believe. I, I, I don't, I don't know what more we'll discover, you know, right. 10 years from now when my kids are like full ass adults, I don't know what will have been discovered. I don't, will I be here? Will our mom be here? What, who won't like, it's like life will have happened and lots of stuff that has not happened will shape how my children, then my grown ass adult, you know, offspring will see the world and affect the world. Um, And, you know, I, 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 I hate when I do this, but it just popped in my mind. So it just is what it is. I, I, I never wanted to be the douchey golf dude who always made like golf analogies for like life <laughs> application. But like, I, I can't help it. I've started, I love golf. It's in my bones now. Uh, and I, just, oh, nice. I love playing it. So like, um, I was really bad at it. So I got an instructor to help me learn how to swing a golf, swing a golf club. And one of the, one of the lessons I'll never forget it because I, I try to remember this is that you're, you're supposed, I, w- I had a very armsy swing where I was just swinging with my arms mm-hmm. But he's like, you're supposed to move your body towards the ball and let and your arms kind of hold on for dear life. Mm. And I just kind of feel that with like my children. Like I said, like I don't, I'm not swinging them with my my arm. I'm not like I'm not the one who's pushing them forward. I'm just holding on for dear life as <laughs> as life is happening yeah. and God is moving them and animating their lives. And right now, the things that happen in their life that make me go. Oh my gosh, please stop doing that. Please don't do that yet. Please don't yada yada. Mm. It's like, well, I mean, it's happening and it is a part yeah. of a larger story. And it's my 19-year-old who understands that. She says it all the time. She's like, she's gotten she's gotten a couple of really shitty tattoos. And she's like, Well, I don't like it, but it's part of the story. And I'm like, how do you at 19? Like, That's how do you at 19? God. How do you already at 19 have that perspective? On I'm life? not like, there already. I'm exactly. already be sitting here pissed like, as hell. Being like, damn, this was just idiots. Like, <laughs> what is wrong for with you, me, Phil? Right. And, and but, for, yeah. I mean, we're sitting, we're sitting there talking at dinner at her birthday. And she's like, he's like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, the people shaping your life right now, I don't like them. I don't like these rappers. I watch some of the videos of, of like the, the hip hop artists that are influencing them. And I'm like, and I, mm-hmm. I'm, and I literally said, I'm like, I understand why they're the way they are. And I don't judge them for that. I understand why they talk that way. I understand that. I'm, but I'm like, that's their life. That's not yours. And I feel like you're borrowing their life. And she's like, well, you know, you think, you really think that when I'm the 10 years from now, I'm going to be, uh, that I'm still going to be thinking and, and acting and chasing these rappers like my 19 year old self. And I'm like, who are you? Like, how do you, <laughs> who has that kind of perspective on their own life? You know, so so I, that made dude. Me I need to get your daughter on my show next. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like how do you? You know how do? You, so I'm like, you know what? You're gonna be fine. Wow. Like, yeah. That voice that says God. You know that God knows how to name themselves when mm-hmm. they encounter people. God knows how to introduce themselves to people. I'm like, okay. God will do it. It's always there, been God doing it. There's something really phenomenal going on right now that really 
I am excited by it. I think a lot of the world is terrified by it, but I get excited by these kind of things. Um, mm. We're living in a time where kids are not not been raised by their parents as they have been for the last tens of hundreds of thousands of years. They're being raised by like a global community in a sense in that these kids are being raised on YouTube, TikTok, Netflix. Even if you ban your kids from watching it, they'll go to school and they'll watch it on their friend's phone or they'll talk to their friends. But there's there's an element where um, even if you are living in a racially segregated kind of community, maybe, maybe not, officially segregated but we we all know that happens plenty but you know you live in a white suburb but guess what sitting on your phone a huge portion of people are black or indigenous or or whatever you know um or or you are rich but you're you're exposing yourself to poverty you are uh straight but you're exposing yourself to what it means to be a trans person in a way that Let's face it, we're about the same age, you're a little bit younger, and I'll, I'll hold that over your head for sure. Um, but uh, <laughs> take anything I can get. Um, but you know, when we grew up, we were not exposed to that kind of stuff. We, we weren't exposed to the other sides of the world. We weren't exposed to, you know, I mean, how many people our age, late 30s, 40, you know, how many people at that age uh, could tell you about a trans person in their school? Uh, maybe a couple, maybe. Yeah. And it would have been like, a, a, a huge deal and whatever. I talk to kids these days and, and they're like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of kids in our school. Trans. What do you, one of my friends yeah. is trans. What's yeah. the big deal? Like, and you're like, yeah. well, I, I, and I'm mind blown not because they don't think it's a big deal and that's wrong. I'm mind blown because they don't think that's a big deal and it's such a huge progression. It's a, it's a great, wonderful thing in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I do wonder there's probably all sorts of negative components to kids being exposed to so much, right? You, kids, I mean, you're talking about 19 year old watching rappers. Well, I guarantee you, whatever your youngest kid is watching is probably going to be more terrifying. Um, for sure. But, for sure. You know, like there's, there's scary components to that for sure. Like there's no doubt about it, but it, it, it excites me a little. And, and do you, do you have thoughts about this? I mean, especially, I guess, with race as well as being such a huge thing, it, it feels like race. Race just falls apart. This this horrible this horrible um, racism just falls apart when you start mixing people of different races in For sure. in their upbringing and their growth and things. It feels like there's a lot of hope potentially in racism almost naturally dying out i i don't want to remove the need for intentional anti-racist work there's got to be a huge anti-racism movement if we're going to see any change anytime soon Mm -hmm. but but it does feel like the need for that in the younger generation almost kind of fizzles out because those lines are just not drawn as hard in the sand yeah it makes sense i think i think there's i think there's um a uh, uh, yes and to that because I, I my children experienced racism throughout high school mm. in 2000 from between 2016 to 2020 here in the United States in dark blue California right wow. so I think that you know Dr. King talked about this notion of of uh, you know white moderates sort of believing that 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 racism would sort of die out over time. And, you know, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but that, that it would die out over time. And that, you know, that, that, that if we were just patient enough. Um, and, and I think that like, to some degree, yes, the, you know, Jay-Z mentioned this several years ago, it's hard for uh, white kids growing up now to hate black people when they're listening to his music, like right? when he's the person influencing them, when they're, they're, you know, when hip hop culture is such a, 
uh, a global phenomenon that I mean, I was I was watching. I forget. I'm watch, I was watching a uh, oh Gangs of London, which I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it. It's an amazing no, show. Um, you know, so the Gangs of London, and I'm watching the show, and there's like some um, uh, I think they're Persians, and they're listening to hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like, and it's like where hip hop went from being this just part of urban communities to mm-hmm. you know where where you had BET and and then you had MTV and MTV was all rock all the time and now i don't even know if MTV even does music anymore but you know like if you turn on the radio any station you're going to have hip hop that's going to come on there's going to be yeah. a feature even country music it's it's like it's like when smith took over the matrix right when when agent smith was like was was everywhere <laughs> it's what hip hop has done to the world it yeah. is just it is just permeated every culture mm-hmm. everywhere all over the world so from that perspective i think there is some truth to the idea that things like that start to deteriorate, you know, the, the, the infrastructure of racism, but there's always been caste systems throughout the world. And those things, I'm not even sure they ever go away. Like I'm, I'm not sure they ever completely die. I hope they do. I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime, but I do think this younger generation to your point is like, just naturally making space where you and I, you know, I'm 42. I remember like making, I I remember being very homophobic and it was no, it was nothing to make fun of gay people when I was growing up in school. Um, It it, like, it, I mean, it, it, like, I feel awful even, even though it's, you know, 20, not 30 years ago, I still feel terrible about it, but that's just like Mm -hmm. what it was. And so now to move 30 years into this present age and you're like they it's not even a thing they don't right. even like it's nothing right. it's like this, and kids you, kids would like lynch each other over that like they would they, they would jump on you if you if you as a kid in a school right now would like go oh that kid's gay like ha like what i like you know threw out some slurs or the rest of the kids in that school would turn around yeah. and be like how dare you that's just yeah, for sure absolutely such a absolutely. like it's the opposite dynamic you know it's almost yeah. it's it's cool to be inclusive. Whereas like it, yes. when I grew up, it was cool to be exclusive, be as exclusive is, as it, possible, pick yes. on every other person. Yes. Right? Yes. It's, it's wild. It's such yeah. a. Yeah, it's yeah. They're, they're more socially conscious now, I think. And I think you're right. I think yeah. the perspective of them being global. Um, I think that, you know, the fact, especially like you look at TikTok or YouTube and it's like, you can see what's happening in some other part of the world. And mm-hmm. Periscope literally even shows you where people are from. If you, you know, if you're using Periscope, right, you know, yeah. so I think that you just kind of have this, yeah this uh the walls kind of break broken down yeah um implicitly there's still a lot of work to be done because the yeah. the especially in the united states a culture that you're still indoctrinated in a culture that's telling you about american exceptionalism right and so you may actually be able to see and have an expanded view of what it means for someone to be an american but you still have the caste system of america mm-hmm. and this internalized sense of superiority that you gain from living in America, right? And having that. So there's the next generation will do a little bit, I believe a little bit more work to uh, sort of fight that. But man, dude, I used to say this all the time and you know, it's like maybe a little bit of a pessimistic view, but you know, I would say empire always wins, right? That like that as much as we like look at the expanding and the good and the, the Dr. Kings and the Gandhis and the Jesus and the, you know, um, the Nelson Mandela's of the world, right? 
there are also the Hitlers and Donald Trumps and the Osama bin Ladens and the, you know, all of those, 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 those people who, you know, depending upon your perspective, you would view as proponents and advocates of evil. Mm. And they also keep evolving. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, like, gosh, and well, in some ways compounding. So like the way they yes. evolve, you mean, look at yes. wealth, right? You look at certain yes. terrible, horrendous, rich families that get rich Absolutely. off the back of like entire communities of black people, perhaps. Yeah. And then you go forward five generations and now they've got not five times the wealth, they've got 3000 times the wealth or, yes. you know, and yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's astonishing how much evil can compound as well. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and the things that support evil, like I asked someone the other day, I asked yeah. not someone, I asked everyone on my social media on Facebook, like what makes someone an enemy, you know, cause I've been mm. wrestling with this notion of Jesus saying, love your enemy. And like, we have this, like a lot of Christians would be like, well, I don't have any enemies. Well, then you, you literally can't do what I believe is the most fundamental, true, the most fundamentally life altering amazing part of the faith you subscribe to is that you yeah. are commanded to love your enemy. So if you can't identify an enemy, you can't do that. So right. I'm asking this question, right? And as I'm having really interesting discussions about it, one of my friends and I discussed like, you know, it's interesting. Most people's answers to that question is someone who opposes me, right? It's, it's, it was never, a, I oppose this person. So everyone's idea of enemy is, or adversary is that this person is in the way of what I want to do. Well, sometimes yeah. you're in the way of what someone else wants to do. Oh, and yeah. The Big time. Why, <laughs> the reason why you're in the way of what someone else wants to do is because you both want that thing in the middle of the room and you both believe if the other person gets it, they'll be superior to you. There mm. you instantly have an enemy. And capitalism continues to create enemies. It continues to, as we talked about earlier, cause some people to believe if we let them in, they're going to take our jobs, they're going to take our work, we're going to have less money, we're going to have to change our lifestyle, we won't be able to live in this house, we'll have to move to a house down there. Oh, our property value went down because these people moved into this place. It's all it's all of that. And, and that affects, again, religion. We think about like churches, a lot of churches in the United States used to be in urban, used to be in urban settings in the city. Well, with the invention of the automobile, people started going, I don't want to live where I work. I want to mm. live out somewhere else. And so what happened? They moved out. The money moved out. Churches found themselves with nothing but poor people in and around their churches. And they went, well, we can't sustain this. So we're going out to the suburbs. And now you've got these suburban mega churches that are no longer serving in the communities where they're needed. Why? Because of advancements and capitalism. And that thing is so, it is so sinister along with white supremacy, that even folks who mean well and want to change the way the world is arranged, if you do not start with those fundamental things, you yeah. may have the best of intentions, but at some point, capitalism is going to cause you to look across at someone who was your friend, like Captain mm -hmm. America, the Civil War, and you're going to be like, that is now my adversary. Yeah. And that to me is what is what I go, I don't know what the answer is for that. I don't know what system there is that yeah. allows for the future to be a future where, yeah, there's space and we don't continue to have people become enemies because we're both competing for the same thing in the middle of the room. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you don't even have to work hard to figure this out, right? You, you're, you're asking the question, like, who's your enemy? And my first thought is my wife. She might get the last bit of cheesecake, right? Or, or you know, like it could be so simple, but that, that breaks down, right? There's one bit of cheesecake in the fridge and me and my wife are looking at it going... Well, I'd like that cheesecake. And then we look at each other and it's like, okay, 
what's happening here. Now, yes. hopefully, we yes. both go, oh, let's cut it in half. Or even better, like the others go, oh, you have it. You love cheesecake more than me. I'll have something another yeah. time. Or, right? Yeah. You know, there's, of course, but there's still a thing in there. My brain is worrying, going, she's the enemy. Do not let her have that cheesecake. Exactly. You deserve the cheesecake. Exactly. The cheesecake yeah. is all. You know, like, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, you don't really like cheesecake over there, man. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Actually, I'm not that big of a deal with cheesecake. <laughs> My analogies always end up being something that's completely untrue anyway. So, um, I don't think my wife likes cheesecake either. Um, but So really, we're just looking at cheesecake going, no, no, no we'll leave it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this big thing. It, on a very fundamental level, you know, you put a toy in the middle of the room and you put two kids in the room and we know it's going to be World War Three. You know, and this yeah. doesn't have to be ISIS versus, you know, uh, Dick Cheney. This is, you know, like we, yeah. <laughs> whatever, yeah. you know, whoever you're, but perfect yes. budding images of, of true enemies and warfare and, 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 and qualified, you know, uh, attacking one another. Like it, yeah. we all do it. We all do it on yeah. every level. And yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And yeah, I think you're right because I think it will keep coming in. I, I think this is something that fascinates me. And I guess, it's going back because I, I really want to like touch on you, you kind of, um, touched on what I was talking about with, with, um, the next generation being so different. But, but I think you, you hammer home so massively the implicit components of things like racism, classism, whatever is going on. I mean, um, there's this structure going on that is systemic that, that just doesn't get dealt with otherwise. Uh, and this is the thing with, with the, the explosion of, um, uh, the Black Lives Movement this year just set, felt like it was taken to a whole nother level. Um, mm -hmm. but even in the UK, you know, we had marches, we was, it was blowing up. Yeah, and, and, and I was in my education, I was really intentional. I was like, I want to educate, but you know what? I want to educate here. I want to educate on my soil. Because I, I can, it's like I said, I moved to America and I'm like, Jesus, you guys are racist as fuck. Like, what the hell's going on here? I'm like, but it was interesting. It was, you guys are racist, right? Wasn't me. I wasn't racist. I'm from the UK. We're not racist. We're very integrated and we got this and we got that. And, and the truth is it took me a lot of honesty and maybe quite a bit of fragility getting broken through to go, oh, well, we're really racist in this country still. And I am really racist still. And I'm going to have to own that. And I'm going to have to work on that. Um, that's hard work. That's hard, hard work to do. Um, what, what do you, you know, there's an element of like, okay, for people that start to wake up, for people that have a bit of intentionality, like, I don't know why I woke up or, or why I, I stepped into intentionality when I wasn't intentional before. Hmm. I'm just glad I did. Um, and I couldn't even point the finger and go, that's what it was. It was listening to Jay-Z or it was having a black friend or whatever it yeah. was, right? I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that was. It just, it, there was something that pushed me across the barrier. It, mm. it feels like if someone talked to me and said, Hey, Phil, you know what? You're being racist right now. I go, Oh, it would sting as like hell. That, that gut mm. sink of like, Oh, this hurts. But I would go, yes, almost definitely. Please tell me what's going mm. on. How can I learn? But it feels like there's a huge portion of the population. You go, hey, you're being racist right now. And boom, explosion, defensiveness, you know, whatever, you know, that, that, that fragility component of, um, no, no one wants to be racist. No one wants to, no one wants to find out they're racist, but yeah. it, it feels like, so that's not the way to reach that person in a sense, right? Cause I mean, they can probably have that conversation a thousand times. I mean, how many times has someone been called racist and gone, no, I'm not. 
it, it's not working. Um, yeah. What yeah. do you think are the ways that we start breaking into the implicit components? And maybe they genuinely believe they're not. They're like, well, I, I listen to black music. I've got some black friends. It's maybe explicitly they're not that racist. Yeah. Very possible, yeah. but it, it is deeply systemic, and it, and it takes a whole other. How do how do we? Because I want to know as a white person, because this is not your job, right? And, and I know mm-hmm. this is kind of your job because you talk about race, but <laughs> it, you know, this shouldn't be your job. Like, exactly. This should not yeah, be yeah. the job of black people yeah. to be educating on this. How do I, as a white person, help white people see the implicit components of this? Because it's easy to point out the explicit stuff. But that, yeah. that's flying less, right? And as we're talking about, maybe in, in, as, as society is moving forward, it's, it's, even if you want to be, you're not allowed to, unless you're in America yes. right now. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's not as much a component. It, it just isn't going on. So how, how do we start highlighting that? How do we start reaching people? What, what would you say to that? Like, how, how yeah. would you, I mean, I've, I've read a bunch on this and, and I'm still scratching my head a lot of the time and how well, to reach people. I think it's space, man. I, I do, I really think that inclusivity in space um, is, I say this all the time about contending for a better world. I think that is contending for a better world by creating more inclusivity and more space. I think if you, I think one of the things that, that makes a person not feel safe or feel threatened by your racist, your xenophobic, your homophobic um, is the threat of cancellation. Right. It's it's the margin. It's it's the right. very slim margin for error. I have uh, non-binary friends. I have queer friends. And they've become more and more friends over the years. I still find myself really nervous that I'm going to get people's mm-hmm. pronouns wrong, that I'm going to say something that is hurtful or harmful, that makes a person feel unseen. Um, there's a part of me that's still in you know, it. I don't know that I fear being canceled because I don't think I'm I don't think I'm you know, have hold enough space in the world to be canceled, you know, but I think like, I think that fear though, of like being this person, it Mm -hmm. makes people retract into denial when they're confronted with the reality that they may, they may carry some, some implicit ideologies that are harmful to other people. Mm -hmm. And when you can allow people to tell their story without judgment, which is a lot easier to do with white on white conversation than it is for some white person talking to me. Cause some white person to me is, is going to be very reluctant to admit that their aunt Susie at Thanksgiving use the N word, you know, but like in a, a, a community of people that it's like committed to doing this forward progress work. It's a lot easier for, for, for them to say, yeah, my aunt Susie's racist as hell. And this is what she said. And then here's where I agreed with her. Is that wrong? Like, can I like, and I think those conversations need to be, you've got to be able to have those conversations. We can't just throw people away because they were born into a system that reinforced maybe, I don't know if it's natural or not, but an inclination to want to be at the top of the gas system. Like no, no one who gets access to the green room thinks that everyone in the green, green room was a bunch of snobby ass, you know, elitist. When you're in the green room, it's oh, this is awesome, man. I, you know, I was backstage right. with Justin Bieber and yada yada yada. Like, <laughs> but once you're out, if you ever get kicked out of the green room, then the green room sucks. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So yeah. I think that like there's just this um we, we we have to hold space for people to change. And we need to do that in a, in such a way that is that's safe for everyone. Because mm-hmm. there is a safe space for you to discuss race that may not be safe for a person of color to be in that same room because some of the things that may be said may be triggering, may be harmful, may be hurtful. 
Um, and I think that's I think that's the number one thing. I think white folks educating white folks, get, doing their own work like you're doing, you know, like sitting and listening, mm-hmm. reading, pod, listening to podcasts, reading articles, you know, paying for some sort of education. There's ton, there's like white homework out there uh, yeah. you know, uh, that, that's out there available for people to, to learn. Uh, I know speaking of racism, that podcast and that group of folks and check your privilege. Those are all like um, resources for like anti-racism education that these are people of color and some white folks that are like going, hey, we're going to dedicate our lives to doing this work of educating you. Those resources are available, but they're not just for you to consume. They're for you to take what you've learned and go to your family, those who are willing to engage in conversation and like start listening to their stories, asking them questions and trying your best to move them along. If some of them don't want to go, fuck them. But like, most of them, I hope anyway, maybe I'm being way too optimistic, will be willing to sit and engage in a conversation yeah. if they feel like they're also being heard. I, though, am not the person to listen to your ideas about why Trump isn't racist. I ain't got time for that. That's not that's not the space nope. I that I'm going to be in. I'm 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 not I'm not sitting in racism one on one with folks and helping them walk through that that kind of stuff, helping them to believe that racism is actually a thing. That is too that is too much work, emotionally taxing. It is traumatizing to black folks to have to do that work with white folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's that's huge. And that's it's very helpful. Um and 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 it's very encouraging as well. Um in a lot of ways. So yeah, that's that's good. Thank you. I, I, I you know, a lot of people have been really discouraged and a lot of people have been very encouraged by this year as far as the the topic of racism and anti-racism. Um, it feels like this is clashing and coming to a head of the very worst, but also the very best. Um, do, do you have thoughts on where we're at right now and, and where we're heading as a society? Like, do, do, does this feel, because it just feels to me like if I'm not intentional, I could, gosh, I just get so overwhelmed and it's just, this is just the pits jesus how far have we come even just like you know the election i'm sitting watching results come in i'm like okay i'm excited that there's a little bit more votes for the guy that isn't racist but god like how is it just a little bit more votes like how is there 70 million people that that even if they're not saying we're voting for this guy because he's a racist we're saying well but we're not gonna not vote for him because of his racism you know like whatever that is like that that just i i literally grieved uh despite maybe getting the outcome that I wanted, it, it was a, it was a really heavy process. So it feels like there's this heavy weight, you know, there's the amount of sh- turn the TV on every day. There's another goddamn shooting or whatever. Whether it's a school getting shot, but it's another black person, whether it's, you know, police brutality, like just consistently. And it just feels so overwhelming. And yet, it feels like more and more people are aware of this. I, I don't think, I think the black community has always been very aware of this, right? You guys yeah, have lived sure. with that burden and that weight for sure. so long. But I mean, I went to the March in Manchester. I don't think I've said that yet because uh, whatever. Uh, but I went to the March here in Manchester. I, I just don't like the, you know, it's whatever. Um, but the thing that blew me away was I've seen a lot of marches about race mm. and I've never seen a march about race that was so um multicolored mm. it was not just black and brown people there was 
so many white people there. Now, I don't know how many of them were there, you know, virtual signaling or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone can start getting negative or whatever, but mm-hmm. that to me got me excited, right? Because you look at Martin Luther King, right? I mean, everyone wants to be like, well, yeah, Martin Luther King, we're, we're us Christians were on the right side of, no, shut up, right? White Christians wanted to kill that guy. White Christians mm-hmm. did kill that guy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so like, but it feels like there is this awakening I guess there's, there, it feels like yeah. there's, there is positivity there, but it's just so much crap as yeah. well. Like, do you yeah. have a feeling of a trajectory of, of, of movement of? Yeah. I mean, there's, there was, you know, there was a lot, there were white folks that were aligned with Dr. King. Um, I, I just read a book not too long ago and I, I um, and I can't remember the, the data on it, but there was a certain, a certain amount of white folks that were present. Then um, there were white folks on the Edmund Pettus bridge. Um, I, I think, I saw the same thing you saw when it came to, you know, protests across the world. You look at those protests and they weren't, some of them weren't even, some of, some of them didn't even have any black folks. You know it was like, you know, so I, I think that like, you know, that, that was probably the protest up in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> we're pissed off about this and we're inclusive, but we don't actually have any black people to march with, but we're going to march. <laughs> so, I mean, so I think, I think you, you name something, I think it's important to name. I think we could all be like really skeptical, um, you know, the, the white moderate and the white liberals. And, um, you know, there's lots of, you know, language around that and, and you know, sort of demonizing that group of people. Uh, or we could say, you know, there's some sort of forward movement happening and that if, you know, Paul would say, however the gospel is preached, I really don't give a shit. You know what I'm saying? However the message is getting, however however the message of inclusivity is being shared, mm. I would say even if the people sharing it don't even really believe it, mm. they're still sharing it, right? And that's just me. You know, there are other folks that might be like, no, nah, that's bullshit because you got to get which is fine. And they're, they're entitled to have that thought. And I think, man, if you got like, you know, people signaling that black lives matter, that black people have dignity, that it's not okay to, to just murder black people in the middle of the streets. You have a badge um, that, you know, half more than half the country saying we no longer want a white supremacist despot as our governing authority in this country. Like, yeah, I mean, I I think the amount of people who waited in line to vote, devoted early, stood out in the cold to vote, Mm -hmm. like who risked their lives with COVID-19 to vote. Because anytime there's a huge turnout like this, it usually means people want change, usually. And that's what we saw, right? Um, I, I think that there's never going to be, at least not in our lifetime, and I don't know, you know, I, I don't see it in, in this age where everyone is united around what it, what good means, mm. what hope and love and these concepts that we're all sort of fumbling through. No one's going to have universal agreement on what that means, right? So, of course, half the country still voted for Trump and, and and amongst those people, some of them voted for Trump because they themselves um, are explicitly racist. Yeah, some Without of them a shadow of that. No, some of them voted for Trump because they um, were convinced that there's a there's an immorality to some of the ideas by the 
liberal, progressive Democratic Party. And they cannot see the world through any other lens. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in this really interesting season where I'm trying to be more intentional about not demonizing people. I feel like I've always mm -hmm. done it, but I'm trying to be more intentional about it because I don't, I, you know, I, I, when you start to realize that a couple people actually do listen to you, start going, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be responsible for people hating other people. You know, I'm yeah. just like, I'm just telling the truth as I see it, you know, and I'm, but I don't want you to hate because hate is too strong of an emotion for us to carry mm -hmm. and sustain and keep and wake up every day with that thing. It will kill you. It will literally kill you. So I am like, you know what? I, I want to, as hard as it is, and as much as I know people are like, no, fuck that. I still want to offer grace mm. to the Trump voter. I, I wanna I wanna like offer grace to those to those folks and and try to think maybe there's some other alternative way that they see the world as as twisted as I may believe that it is. There's gotta yeah. be something to them because they're still human beings. Um so man, yeah, yeah. I, I you know it's a it's a big old universe and planet. It's a bunch of people here and perhaps I mean you know Side note, I don't know. I mean, could you can you imagine that like there's all these other planets and there's no one there? Like really there's no there's nobody anywhere else in the entire universe except right here on Earth. Like it just seems really oh. odd to me. But like anyway, like of all of that, all that's going on and, and it's so big and it's so massive that of course there's gonna be mess. Of course yeah. it's messy. Yeah. It was always gonna be messy. No, it's, it's huge. And I, I try to do that so much is trying to humanize the other person, get in their shoes, understand like, you know, being in that evangelical world, I know you lived in the evangelical world, like how much, you know, Christianity and, and, and evangelicalism is to vote Republican because, and the party line, whether it's true or not, because I don't think many people actually vote in that way for that reason. I think there's a whole bunch of other reasons. The party line is abortion. And, 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 yes. and I'm like, okay, well, for a lot of people I do know, that really is. They're like, I don't really like some of these policies, but babies are being murdered. And I'm like, yes, babies are being murdered. I could turn a blind eye to some really big issues if someone said, okay, but we're going to stop the baby murder bit, right? I'm like, yeah, okay, we can deal with some other stuff later, but babies yeah. being murdered? That seems a bit yeah. fucked up, right? Yeah. And of course, that's not what the majority of Trump voters are, are voting for, but but it's, it's like, okay, so that person might be able to be reached. I could sit down with that person and maybe go, hey, let's talk about this a bit more or or whatever it is, right? You know, like I think one of the stats that came out in 2016 after the election was that, I think 67 or 68% of people that voted for Trump said one of the top three reasons they voted for Trump was because they had lost their job or were in fear of losing their job and Trump had promised to secure their job. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I'd vote for a pretty shitty person if they guaranteed I wouldn't be starving next year when I'm really worried about it. I, I probably yeah. would. You know, it's like what you're saying. What's the best shit option yeah. right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. And now the, the, the issue is maybe we should be sitting down and going, Hillary, why didn't you say to people that they'd probably be okay having their jobs? You know, like, we, we made some problems or some miscommunications yeah. in that. But like, and again, is that the reason that they vote for them? Probably not exclusively, but it feels like there's a lot of humanity there because I can imagine what it's like to be scared about losing my job. I've, I've, lived a good portion of a decade not having a static income and every now and again going, well, this could get dicey. Like that's yeah. a scary thought every now and yeah. again. 
Um, yeah. and, and it's a very humanizing thought. Does it mean that I'm going, hey, it's okay that you're racist. It's okay that you're sexist. It's okay that you're whatever. No, of course not. But it is making me go, oh, I can understand why on some level that's not an issue for you because you're privileged enough to be a white male. So what is the issue for you? That you're worried about your job, that you're worried about a baby being murdered, that you're worried about X, Y. Yeah. I can understand yeah. why that's all encompassing for you. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah it's, those, it's, meta, those meta narratives are, are, are very easy to target and mm-hmm. to like go, how dare you, right? But when you really get into the, 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 the nuts and bolts of the story and the proximity that people have to starvation, the proximity they have to uh, isolation, um, what it may cost them to, to decide to do the right thing, like... Oftentimes, if you put yourself directly in those shoes, you can understand how someone didn't do the Mm -hmm. right thing. Right. And that goes for every human being, which is hard for all of us. And it's really hard for black and brown folks who continue to be on the uh, pointy end of oppression to offer any sort of grace or compassion to the person holding that sword. It's like, no, fuck you. You know, and I think that's that's the power of Dr. King's words. It's the power of, of, of what Gandhi was about. It's the power of Mother Teresa. It's the power of Jesus. It's that like they they were in the face of like the 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 oppression and the evil in the world decided not to allow the evil to permeate how they think and behave and act, but went, no, yes, I'm acknowledging that there is evil in the world, but I am not going to respond to evil by using evil's way of dealing with, with, with conflict. I'm going to deal with conflict Mm. from a totally different perspective. It's going to be this one. That's that's subversive to power dynamics of beat down and crush and destroy, but it's going to be build and love and grow and move towards and understand and be compassionate. And we add to that now in our day and age, this idea of boundaries. And I think that's like, again, that's, Mm. that's what like, I think that's the way human beings can live in a way that like is promoting the well-being of everyone. Man, that's huge. That's that's really big. And it's so unfair, right? I mean, like with that, that I guess is at core fundamental grounds of the gospel, right? Message is it's unfair, right? Turning the other yeah. cheek or whatever. Yeah. But I, I deal with this with people, you know, and, and, not trying to draw a like for like comparison, but a similar comparison with a whole lot more privilege and a whole lot less cost. But people that are dealing with their family when they deconstruct and maybe very religious oh, yeah. families and um, the, the families can become really toxic. And you're, you're dealing with like your parents and you're having to parent your parent. And it's like, this isn't fair. Like, you know, someone in their 20s should not be having to handhold someone in their 50s and how to act as a healthy human being while they're struggling and in pain and worried about their life and not even knowing if they're like, if there is a heaven and if there is one, are they going there? Because they feel like they're probably going to tell. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, and, And yet at the end of the day, to respond in the same way that their parents are responding is going to cease that relationship for a very long time. Um, yeah. And and so it's this thing of like, you are in the worst position of these two people. You are in the position of uh, potentially being oppressed, being hurt, being victimized. And yet it's on you to to be the person that goes the extra mile, to be the, the person that takes the high roads. And these kind of things, 
that's a really it feels very problematic to be talking about this sort of thing it feels problematic to say to a, a black person to take the high roads when considering a Trump voter like I mean that's a you know like these are tall orders I, I, I'm i a white person feeling uncomfortable saying something like that and I'm parroting maybe someone like um, you know uh, Martin Luther King or Gandhi both yeah. people of colour right yeah. Um, yeah. and I'm like well that feels really uncomfortable though I don't know like yeah. I feel like the white people should be taking more responsibility but if they can't yeah. Does it end? Will it end? Like, I guess yeah. that's what I guess I'm hearing on some level. It, it, yeah. It's a, it's such a tall order and it just breaks, it breaks my heart. If I'm honest. It's a it very really tall ask, right? And it's an ask that it's an ask that I think too many white evangelicals make when they're talking about racial re- reconciliation. It's not your ask to make. You can't mm-hmm. ask a person of color to take the high road. It's not, you can't do that. Like you, you don't, you don't get to do that to them. Yes. A person of color can ask, can suggest, because we understand what it takes to get to the quote unquote high road. But white mm-hmm. folks have no business, no business whatsoever, trying to hold black folks to a standard of, hey, forgive me. An abuser mm-hmm. does not get to say to the people they've harmed, you got to forgive me. In mm-hmm. fact, if we see that, if we see it depicted in a movie, imagine that you watch this 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 film where this 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 man is abusing a woman the entire film and it, it ends with this man saying well you know you have to forgive me we would we would be so outraged like we'd be just fuming to see that but this is what white folks have been trying to do when it comes to racial reconciliation looking at black folks and saying you have to forgive nah you don't get to say that you're you are you're from the abusing class Right. The abusing class doesn't get to you. You can ask for it. And if and and then I, as the person who's been from the abused class, can say yes or no, I need time. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely fair. Should be should be no questions yeah. asked. And you, as the abuser, should walk away and go, hey, I'll do a lot on for you. In the meantime, I'm still like praying for thinking about sending blessing your way like that that to me is proof that like i really do want reconciliation i really do want there to be healing not that i want to dictate the terms of that healing like which is what again we find so many white evangelicals who want to dictate the terms of it like if you fired someone black from your staff because they were too radically black and you are not still paying their salary you ain't trying to reconcile yeah yeah if you if you ain't sent them any sort of financial recompense for the shit you did, don't tell me you already reconciled because you're not. Yeah, no, and I I've seen this um, in in movements I've been involved with that have done some really fucked up racial stuff. I mean, really, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yet have then come out and gone, oh, we we've learned that we have been um, maybe not. And they've never used the word racist because it's too loaded, but they would, you know, some <laughs> sort of weird way they would kind of say, we're, we're trying to uh, educate ourselves or something. And, um, yeah. and, and yet there's still fired staff. There's still people in that community that are struggling. Uh, there's still whatever, you know, is going on in there. Uh, and it feels that um, there, there needs to be a, recompense there needs to be an intentionality to be a part of a change uh, like yeah. there's a word for that another r word reparations yeah <laughs> there reparations needs to be, big time there right? needs to be that that happens when you recognize that like i have 
benefited from the abuse of other people. There needs to be something, I think, in your way of seeing the world and being in the world that says, ah, oh, man, how do I make good on this? Not And, and not it ain't charity. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I made a note a while ago, like, I need to stop thanking white people for being decent human beings. Like my, my friend Andre says this way. He says, if you if if there's a toilet in the bathroom, I shouldn't thank you for not shitting on the floor. Like, I'm not thanking you for that because there's a toilet there. So, like, I think right. the idea that, that like the uh, of again, you know, when there are white folks, as you mentioned earlier, virtue signaling that like, you know, I'm doing something gracious and generous. You're not being generous. Reparations is not the generosity of white people. Reparations mm. is what white folks actually owe. It's a debt, and this is bro, this is found in ink. There's this um, uh, ancient. Some I, I read this book once called "The Bible as It Was," and it has all of these like writings that that we never you know got to see because some European people decided what was in the Bible and what wasn't going to be in the Bible, right? And so there's like this there's this um, moment where some Egyptian goes to this older Jewish sage and says like, you know, we want back everything that you took when you left Egypt. And this this ancient, you know, wise Jewish sage says, yeah, okay, once, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give it back um, minus the 400 years of slavery and the wages that we were owed for that. Like basically that whole idea of recompense, like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Like, so we, let's not forget what it means to have uh, in, a, in the United States, 400 years of slavery, to have African people removed from their heritage, their customs, their ancestry, their religion, their their spirituality, indoctrinated in a new way of being. And then after the the quote unquote emancipation, there being this, this law that it's really illegal to be black and outdoors. Yeah. And then you move into this whole era of the of the resistance so that we could just vote and drink water from the same fountain and sit and wherever we want to on a bus and go to whatever restaurant and school we want to and own property. That like that whole struggle and that struggle sort of ends around 1970 something. And here we are just 40 years from that. Right. And and like you expect that black folks without a without any any dime from the government that says, hey, let us help rebuild what we tore down like we do in all these other mm-hmm. countries we bomb. Come on, man. Like what what like <laughs> what are we talking about? Like there there has if if reparations don't make sense to you, then I think there's more anti-racism education that you yeah. need to do. Um yeah, that's just well, but that's just me. It's it's in the UK, I only found this out in my own studying, but in the UK we finished paying slave owners for the slaves that they freed. The government basically paid for that to happen because the slave owners were we're not giving our slaves away for free. We need money for that. And so the government was like, okay, well, and it was the biggest um, government um, pay bailout basically of all time in the the UK history at that point. And for even uh, many decades after, it was the biggest uh, thing in a long, long time. And we finished paying that in 2014. People were still getting paid in 2014 for that. I don't know who, and I tell you what, no one's going to be putting their hands up to say, oh, it was me. Uh, Right? I mean, geez, that's when you keep your head low if you were getting that check every month or whatever it was, right? But Jesus. And I'm I'm, I'm like, what the fuck? 
like this and is and crazy. Why, and that, and that but is, who's paying those slaves? Yeah, slaves get yeah. freed, and the, and the question is not how do we make recompense for this person being in slavery for so long, but having no opportunities and and no starting opportunities at all. It's a well. The people that got rich off that person's back. How do we make sure that they're paid what they deserve for the the years in the future that they're not going to get? Like it's and how many white people have have been recompensed since slavery? But they we just can't quantify it because it wasn't an official government program. But absolutely. We, but we do have all these other ways that white folks have benefited. Again, mm. it's like whether the government explicitly said, "Here's a check," or the system just said, "Hey." you have less competition for this because we're not going to let black and brown folks be in this pool. So yeah. either way, you've got yeah. this benefit that's, that's been happening that, you know, only people get to go to university, only people that get to whatever, yes. or even, yes. Oh, we'll, um, we'll fund, you know, districts based on the income of that district. And then Absolutely. we'll only allow black people with no jobs to live in that area. And then their education will be just fantastic. I'm sure compared to that area where, you know, the average income is a hundred grand. Like, exactly. Jesus, exactly. how, like, uh, but, and, and, and once you awaken to that, you see it. Like I, I, once I see it, I'm like, oh my God, this is everywhere. And I'm pissed off. I am angry. And I cannot even imagine how angry I'd be with the boot on my neck. Right. I mean, yeah, this is bro. me angry watching from afar going, oh yeah. And, and even angry at myself for being a part of that system. But I was completely yeah. blind to that system. I didn't even see it. Like it's, you heard, it's, you heard the alternative story, man. I mean, I think that's what you know. I think it's what it is. I think once you, once you, yeah. uh, you, you can't see what's, you know, you can't see it until you see it, and once you see it, you yeah. can't unsee it. You know, I think that's just what it is. Yeah. So, it, but it does mean that those that have woken up, at the end of the day, those people are generally speaking the ones that have. Uh, least to lose so they're probably not the billionaires right i was reading about the i think it's the carls or whatever car cargles it's, it's a basically the secret billionaires no one really knows about this family but they they're the biggest billionaire f- uh, family in the world and they have i think 135,000 employees around the world in 60 countries um mm. and they have a billion dollars for every thousand people they employ Jeez. in this family of like 14 people uh, well, 14 billionaires. The, the family is hundreds and hundreds of people, and they are all multimillionaires, every one of them. Um, and you read about how they got their wealth, how they went into Vietnam after it, uh, whatever, and just like pulled it all out. It's just, it's wild. It's, it's just it's crazy, man. It's really, really crazy. I, I never, I never heard about them. It, it, it's but you, but they're not going to be lining up to make reparations, right? you know. <laughs> uh, but it's funny because, of course, if anyone could, right, they could be like, all right, let's just give like. I don't know, you know, 500,000 to every black person in America. And that actually wouldn't bankrupt them. Right. I mean, it's like, that's, that's the kind of money you're talking about. It's just, it's yeah, unbelievable. That's anyway, dude, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for giving so much time. I really, really appreciate it. I really yeah, appreciate dude, the work you're me. doing as well. If people want to dive into your stuff, like mm-hmm. we mentioned your podcast, what are you doing and, and how can people connect to you? Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest way is probably go to CoreyEvanLeak.com. Um, you know, you can get to my Patreon through there. There's a, a Patreon community that I have of wonderful people who are supporting my work as well as like, you know, just contributing to the work, you know, through, through conversation. And it's also where I can, you know, where I can do a little bit more, um, you know, uh, of intimate education with people and engaging with people. I, I can't really do that on social media as much. And of course, you know, all my social channels, I'm on Instagram and um, the podcast on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. So yeah, that's, that's how, and, and dude, Phil, I just really, really appreciate this time. It's been great. I, I, I'm honored to be on your, on your show. 
talking to you and, and, and talking to your audience. No, thank you so much, man. We'll definitely have to have another chat at some point for sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm into it. Cool. All right. Love you, man. I'll catch you later. Yeah. All right, dude. Take care. Peace. All right, so that was Corey Evan Leak. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I do encourage you to check out Corey's stuff. CoreyEvanLeak.com is a great place to start, point you in all the different directions. Um, do consider supporting him over on Patreon. Um, check out his Instagram, it's Existential Podcast over on Instagram. Um, there's other social media uh, as well. I'll put links in the show notes to those sort of things. And I'm sure you can find everything via his website as well. If there's not something on the show notes that you're looking for. Um, but yeah, do get check him out. Shoot him a DM. Let him know that you love this conversation. That's always encouraging. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. But I really enjoyed that. And I do hope that you did too. Um, as I said at the beginning of the show, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. If you are going through deconstruction, it's a great way to connect with other people in your local area. We're also doing really interesting research through the deconstruction network, and we just put out our first report on that, and there's some really fascinating results. Uh, and you can find that out over at the deconstructionnetwork.com slash research, and you can take part in our future research as well. And I think research into the deconstruction community is so important because the, the narrative around deconstruction is so flawed and so um, mistaken in its um, presentation. And uh, the data just doesn't line up with what people say when they talk about people who deconstruct their faith. And so we're really trying hard at the Deconstruction Network to change the narrative, to introduce cold hard data that is irrefutable that talks about who people are um, that are deconstructing um, where do they go what are they like why did they deconstruct these kind of things that so many people have an opinion on but very rarely are very accurate and so i'd love for you to take part in that um, you can do so over at deconstructionnetwork.com um, and do check out our research, share our research, you know, give it to your friends that are um, throwing around uh, falsehoods around deconstruction or, or people that will quickly label your deconstruction. You're now going to be able to start pointing to research and say, well, actually, here's the data on that. Here's what deconstruction actually means and what it actually looks like. Um, and I'm really excited about that. If you'd like to support what I'm doing, you can do that over at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, either one of those um, will give you access to a private discussion group where we have amazing conversations about deconstruction, about faith, about spirituality, and just day-to-day -day life. We kind of encourage each other in the journey. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely little community, and I'd love for you to be a part of that. As little as $5 a month um, uh, gives you access to that. We have monthly Zoom calls and different things like that as well. It's, it's a um, it's really the only way I can thank you um, for your support because everything else I do is free um, and I do it full time. And so the support that I get from people actually means that I can focus on this full time. I can give away everything for free. Um, so it means a huge deal to me. Um, it really, really does. And I really appreciate every one of you that does support me financially. There's never any need for that, but it does mean a great deal because it means I get to eat and you know have a roof over my head, things like that. Um, the little things in life. Anyway, that's enough from me. I will see you in the next episode. Hope you're doing well. Love you all.